This novel is actually a movie script. This is a work of fiction based on Bible story. The Immeasurable Love Revealed, written by Moses Ira Iyamu. Chapter 1 A Busy Street Somewhere Downtown LA Night. A church choir is performing from the distance, and getting closer is Bulwark, the blue eyed Caucasian and the full bearded hunk of a man, dressed in an overcoat over a two piece flannel pantsuit. His dressing is completed by a bowler hat and a pair of cowboy boots. Every step he takes on the solid walkway surface seems to punctuate the spirited music by the church in the distance. He has the solid gait of a Viking warrior in every inch of his six foot eight inch height. His face is subtly shielded by a solid shadow under the bowler hat. The occasional night traffic lights that hit his face reveal the cold solidity of his eyes as they seem to cut through everything he sees. Behind him are three people dressed almost as he is, walking at such a pace that it is a wonder they have not reached or overtaken him because his strides are leisurely and contained. No haste for Bulwark, only dignity. They come to an intersection, the end of a block. On either sides of him appear three more persons as they march their ways, the fan behind him as if they are the wings of a big bird with distant feathers. Bulwark crosses the road as if unaware of the vehicular traffic, and somehow he crosses neatly with no collision with the moving vehicles as they drive past. His tail and wings do exactly as he does in the crossing. He does not acknowledge them, and they do not seem to take notice of his presence either. They just keep walking real fast while he walks leisurely, punctuating the music from the church in the distance. A small downtown community church night. It is a decent black neighborhood community church at sunset. The church pastor, Reverend Martins Orwell, is standing and making a spirited and educated presentation. Pastor Orwell says, In the beginning, God. The entire congregation is held under his decent spell. In the second row up front sits Mrs. Virginia Orwell, the little girl Sally, and his little brother Bruce Arlington Orwell. Wife and children are fully concentrated on their man. Beloved, the foundation of the universe is laid on every beginning with God. A section of the church erupts with a spirited jubilation and affirmation. Pastor Orwell goes on. There's no life without God at the beginning, and there's no beginning that has a life without God. Beloved, it doesn't matter the size and purpose of your dream. Put God in there if you truly visualize a marvelous ending. Because God is great at every beginning and marvelous at every ending that has Him at its beginning. The congregation along with Grandma Lisa, cute looking and gorgeous, explodes in response to the oratory. And suddenly, the church door facing the pastor's podium swings open. And with a gust of wind that ushers in the man of the old deep gray outfit, Bulwark. Bulwark goes, How about the middle of him, Pastor? All eyes turn to the gatecrasher. Bulwark 
gives a surprised look around the place and protests the strange reactions with all the dignity he can muster in the circumstance. And he goes on. What? Even Mr. Devil himself walks in on Papa Dodd. Some rare sometimes. Anybody here ever read the book of Job? Grandma Lisa turns to him and likes some members of the congregation. She seems to have identified him. The old lady, close to exploding with powerful fire, controls herself while rising at the same time. And Grandma Lisa goes, You son of a bitch! I swear by the goddamn name of the most holy Jesus that I'll crack your crown if you do not move your sorry ass out of this place this moment. Her grandson, Melvin Wise, holds her back. But she slaps his hand off her arm with... And Grandma Lisa says, For Christ's sake, this is the house of God. Let someone defend it. Chapter 2 The Shimmering Multicolored Cloudy Stairway Day An ethereal piece of orchestration is playing and filling the speakers with mesmerizing force. The stairway is of white gold and the clouds of snow white, blue, gold, purple and peach. Every of them is polished gloss. Archangel Lucifer is all resplendent in his multicolored hue. His wings are completely out of sight. He is fully and completely humanoid now as he climbs, head bowed. High above, in a floating world of innumerable colors, shimmering and heart-seizing clouds, he gets to the head of the stairway and disappears into the clouds. As he is swallowed up in the clouds, the music suddenly acquires higher and stronger crescendo and ends with a cloud crash. Celestial Throne Room Day A huge throne sits in front of a wild and cultured extensive background of celestial elements and lives expanding every moment as consciousness dwells on it. Around the throne are lesser thrones which are occupied by celestial forms, all humanoid, but in forms of light and pure glass roll into one. The one on the throne who is all shimmering light and intoxicating music with no actual full form manifestation is listening to the celestial council within the ring of 24 thrones are three powerful humanoids kneeling on one knee and resting their heads on the knees of their other legs in what seems like eternal obeisance 
before the formless form of shimmering light and music on the throne. Elder One goes, We've seen that the works of the hand of your majesty are marvelous. Our Lord and Master, the earth is and all the heavens are fully set. The beauty is as your majesty has specified, and it pleases us, your servants. All the 24 throne occupants fall before the partially seen one on the celestial throne. The lights representing his form are clashing with the fury of a wild thunder and lightning. The music, which seems to have ended earlier, mounts with much more dignity and force. And from the far end of the throne room, we see Lucifer stand bowed at the entrance in a most holy posture in reverence to the proceeding. His reverent eyes seem to be fixed on the three whose glory seems to outshine those of the twenty-four. God speaks. It gladdens me that my works please you all, children, and I am pleased by the parts you all have played in it. The music swells with gleeful ecstasy as if celebrating the fact that the voice graces their audience. The voice is like a soothing, soft, deep-flowing, dense, but compact liquid like heavy honey, punctuated by the thunderclaps. A hand of musical light sweeps from within the throne, and all the thunderclaps and music go completely out. When the voice returns, it is as if the entire universe is still, slumbering and calm. All the faces bowed, try to look up with awe. And God speaks. Now that all is set, it is time to bring forth the prince of the universe into the world. Rise, everyone, and take your positions. The twenty-four follow the lead of the three closest to the throne, who rise to their full heights with their arms folded in front of them. The twenty-four sit in their thrones, and God speaks. Having said that, you know what follows. Let us make man in our own image and likeness, let him have dominion over the earth, over all the creeping things, the animals, the birds, the sky, and the lands, over all the waters and spheres, and all that exist within and around them. The twenty-four nod. One of them responds, Elder Two, As it has pleased the Lord of all lives to grace the universe with the God-man, we are pleased to set the work and give this one last creation of splendor a worthy set of garments so he can effortlessly navigate the lower and higher realms of life in the holy name of our God and Father. The other elders bow in unison before the one on the throne. The three return to their unique bow stands before the throne. It is very evident that there is deep awe and joy in the throne room at the thought of the one final creation. The music resumes. Thunderclaps and lightning flashes make the place resound in loving harmony. And God made man in his very own image, very own beauty, glory, power, and splendor, having all of God's very essence and being 100% just like his spirit. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and God blessed them and God says be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God continues, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And so it was. An impossible lush and serene flower garden day. The Garden of Eden. The beauty of this place is earthly, but it seems as if every color of plants, sky, trees, flowers, fruits, is distinctly accentuated and polished to glossy effect. Each color stands apart from the rest in ultra-high definition, but in a subtle way connects and blends with the whole for divine aesthetic effect. Birds looking so healthy and plump fly about and twitter, croak and sing overhead with clear sharp tones uncommon. Antelopes, deers, rabbits, elephants, tigers and lions move around calmly. And by the serene and sparkling stream taking its source from a gigantic waterfall coming from a mountainous height, a pair of hippos sneezes out water as their heads pop out of the water. And in that instant, something arresting strikes. A section of the garden explodes with some movements. The earth's surface begins to turn and churn most powerfully with shimmering and sparkling lights mixing with the fine particles of earth. The sight is like multiple rainbows with magic dusts, blending with the dust turning and blending midair. All the birds and animals and flowers freeze and remain still in time, totally insensate. While this is going on, a hypnotizing orchestral piece plays wildly. After what seemed like a while, God comes down into his garden called Eden, and from the dust of the ground a humanoid form begins to form. The skin tone ranging first from earth brown, then to dust brown, then to caramel brown, then milk, then ivory, then chocolate brown, then caramel. Lights go out and the first man rises fully stretched out on the floor as if sleeping. But on a closer look, he is not really on the floor. He is suspended as if it were by white light. He is resplendent in beauty and aura, covered by a loosened subtle skin garment, masking his vital privates. He is a beauty to behold. Second Heaven Day All the principalities and powers are looking down on man, looking all flush and polished, muscles well-toned and solidly dynamic. Gabriel is looking at it with a soft smile on his lips. Angel Isil says, What do you think? A great job? Everyone present is looking giddily at the wondrous work lying asleep on the ground. And Isil says, I'd say certainly a great job. And Elder One goes, It would seem a long time it's taken to rouse. And Elder Three, How beautiful. I think Father has overdone this. So much grace into just one being. And Elder Four says, So high and yet so low. From all I see, the entire universe with all its forms and forces are condensed into this being. And Angel Issa goes on. He's powerful and yet so weak. Yet the Lord says he's the prince, the God-man. I call him sweet brother. 
He bows his head, looking up to the direction of the endless stairs of cloud and light, and all others follow. Elder Four says, Father, we hallow your generosity and favor bestowed on this weak form you call man. His soul, so beautiful, Father. A group of angels waltz their way in. Leading them is Uriel. And Angel Michael says, Uriel, late again? And Uriel says, Has anyone thought about the final color? I mean skin tone for this bean? I think dust hue would be proper. What would the Lord decide? Brother Gabe? And Gabriel answers, I think the Lord has made his decision. No single color will do. Another angel turns to Uriel, aghast. And Shah says, It's a soul like us. And Uriel says, Yes, Shah, he is like unto us, spirit and soul. And Elder One cuts in. Except that this one soul is distinctively independent and fiery in its uniqueness. And Angel Amisha says, if it comes with an independence of mind, then it'd have to learn, meaning would have to be its teachers. By now, Uriel is looking bewildered, and Uriel says, And why hasn't it woken? The others, I mean the animals, didn't take this long. You're sure it works? And Lucifer says, That's because it's special, Master Uriel. Give it time. And then Gabriel says, The Lord will prefer he. For this thing you call it, Masters, Brother Luce? And Lucifer says, How? He's just like the rest, except that he's fully erect like us. He looks down towards the animals playing about. By this time, huge crowd of angels and heavenly beings have gathered. And when they see the form of the sleeping man, they gasp with wondrous hush. One expression flows from his lips. Oh, it's so beautiful, so soft and sweet. Oh, so gorgeous. Oh, holy lovely. Oh, how lovable. The choirs of heaven, banded around Lucifer, explode with a flourish of music. Lucifer nods them to go ahead with it, but calmly. The music swells, and an amber light with a golden hue at the fringes spread across everyone present, and they bask in it, as tamed and as civil as possible. All turn a thank you face to Lucifer for it. He bows in return, accepting their gratitude. And Angel Gabriel says, The Lord's idea about this one is far from that perception. And Uriel says, And what's the Lord's idea? Might of the Holy One? And Gabriel says, If your humble brother knew, he wouldn't keep you in the dark till now. Leave it all to the most exalted one. A sudden gust of shimmering lights blows into the entire space, swallowing up the one from Lucifer's musicians, and everyone is in bliss. Their faces take on a glow, happier than normal. And Angel Michael says, It seemed like the Lord's rising. A million angelic beings flank the massive stairway, and the three, and across the landing on one knee. They bow, heads tucked on the left kneecap, in total reverence for the approaching beam of infolding and outfolding ocean of light descending from the height. The twenty-four form a crescent ring behind the three, in pure reverent, bowing before the approaching ocean of might. 
but the ocean of light freezes mid-motion as something much larger with supersending music and light incomprehensible blasts its way forth from a higher height as it makes its move from the gathering all freeze the way the higher ocean of light froze from the huge ocean of none such and truly ineffable white blue and golden lights with music most impossible a humanoid form appears he is every inch man and as he walks past the crowd all the angels and beings stand almost lifeless he descends to the lower ends where man is laying on the ground he bends low picks him off the ground and cuddles him endearingly like a baby and breeds into him a gale of musical lights with magic dusts in it in that breath he empties himself into the form suspended from the floor by white light fully into him now his body takes on a more vital glow and then all the emanation of the greater ocean of light and music clears out then the lesser ocean of light shows up formless and calmly lays the now sentient man back on the ground and walking past the sea of frozen archangels elders angels and principalities he returns to his ocean of majesty the ocean of majesty returns into the heights and disappears and at that instant they all return to the moment fully alert and as they look up the stairway they see him in his usual majesty they crumble before him and god says have you seen man they all turn towards the direction the forum in the light points towards and when they turn they see that man has risen to his feet below he could see all of them watching him from on high and elder 5 says father it's so so beautiful and elder 4 father in this man is the entire universe condensed and god says man is a drop of the ocean of consciousness hiding the entire ocean of consciousness and angel gabriel says he's a marvel my lord angel isol says this is a brother i must cherish my lord and angel michael goes i cherish him already and god says then guide him watch over him the lights go soft and brilliant engulfing them all chapter 3 earthly garden day man is fully spirit conscious standing tall clothed in white which takes his form hiding all his private organs he is looking up at the stars in the sky all the animals lions tigers elephants deers buffaloes etc and birds approach him and he begins to relate with them something makes him pause and look up second heaven day a hush runs across the entire company of beings looking up to the lord and god says man is my begotten son in whom i have placed my entire essence let all the hosts of heaven and of earth powers dominions and principalities submit to the authority that i have placed on him in my name the entire heaven goes still and silent uriel turns an askin's face to gabriel and isel and michael 
and Uriel says, The Lord has spoken. All of them, including the elders, turn to the direction of man below, and falling face down, but a dissenting voice stops some who were on their way down. Others do not heed the voice. They drop to honor man. And Lucifer goes, This can't be, most holy and reverend Lord. Those that have bowed and honored man rise slowly, with displeasure on their faces towards Lucifer, and then turning their faces to God in his unchanged glory. Lucifer charges at Michael, Isol, and Gabriel, enraged, and Lucifer says, How could you, my brothers? How could you? This was only a test. The Lord just tested us. The majesty on high remains still, watching them. Michael turns and Askin's face to Lucifer. And Lucifer says, Can't you see it? It goes against all we have been brought up with by the Lord. He is the only true God who shall be worshipped. I hallow you, brothers, Gabriel, Michael, Esau, Uriel, elders, but I don't honor you more than myself. Why would the Lord command us to honor this, this pony worm we all experienced and rejoice in his creation? And Gabriel turns to Lucifer. And Gabriel says, Did I not see frozen lights fall on you when the Lord announced his man? And I warned you against a fall? And Lucifer says, This is not anything close to a fall, my brother. This is a grand test from the Lord. How can you not see it? This would be an insult. We're honorees of divinity, not of flesh. Then you, my precious brothers, have fallen by this act? And God says, Lucifer, my beloved son of the morning, be advised against your approaching perversion. I command you, honor my son, man, in my name. And Lucifer kneels down and worships God. Lucifer says, I will not, Lord, bow down to this worm. No! And God says, this is man the roof and crown of all creation, who shall grow to be heir of all things, and you will honor him. Lucifer grows furious. He rises and still bowing continues his argument. And Lucifer says, If you, O gracious Lord, should permit me to live hence, I will not honor this thing. And God says, what happens when this man overcomes his soul and becomes your Lord in due course? And Lucifer says, Him? Become Lord of all creation? This weakling? He will never become that, my Lord and Master? And God says, How will that happen? And Lucifer says, He can't even stand the temptation of his being for one day without us. So how can he be heir of all? If I threw temptations across his path as part of his grooming, can he prevail and become lord of all, my lord? No, he can't. Grant me his teacher and see how flat he'd fall before me. There is a stunning pained hush across the beans in heaven. As soon as Lucifer says that, a parting happens as the entire beans move away from Lucifer. But a third of the host who has not bowed to man remains on the spot, now making one with Lucifer.
And Lucifer says, What have I said? Why are you all walking away? We're brothers in the Lord. I'm speaking for you all. We've been in the service of the Lord without blemish. How could he bring us shame with this sort of demotion because of a mere worm he is fascinated with? My Lord, rethink and honor us, your faithful servants, who have served you without self-consciousness. We've honored you. We've served you with love and unflinching devotion, which this man can never attain. And God says, Well, then, have you not spoken your mind? Son, hear this. All man is my beloved son. This day have I begotten him, and he shall be heir above all. All the beings in heaven but the third bow to God and hallow him for his decision. And God goes on. Now listen, you and your brothers and principalities, powers and masters of the realms. You have served me without an option. You serve and worship with bliss and ease. But man is born weak, confronted with the torments of the flesh and trials of mind. As the memory of his true origin as my son, knowing the immense powers and complete plan of the universe embedded within his being. He shall see himself as man, who is spirit and has a soul and lives in a body. And when he shall conquer these limitations to become aware of himself as God-man, he would have proven his father all-potent as from weakness he would have attained to power. From the darkest regions of life, he would have attained to the full understanding that he is the son of all creating light of life. From prison of mind, matter, and illusion, he would have attained the ineffable glory of God, liberty, and triumph in glory. Whereas you have elected to buffet him with the lures of base powers, pleasure, and crass ignorance in self-worship, but if he shall choose to worship me, if he shall scale these traps you choose out of spite to hurl his way, if he shall prefer the pains of life to attain me than the pleasures and powers of life that will turn him against me, he shall be my crowned prince and you will worship him as a lesser spirit. Now you've turned against me and all that stand with me, including your brothers. And Lucifer says, This is becoming a demotion, my lord. Most holy and just, now am I lost forever. And God says, There is a respite for you, son. If all of man's offspring, without any exception, shall reject you and scale your traps, you shall be redeemed to your former place in my design. But if as much as one of man's offspring shall follow your ways, you shall be eternally damned. You have made your choice, and as you have spoken, so be it. Go and serve your perversion till you exhaust it. Lucifer bows to God for the last time in the heavenlies. Then he rises and turns to the hosts of heaven. Lucifer says, Who is on my side? Slowly and surely a third of the angels and forces in heaven who do not bow to worship man cross over to Lucifer. Michael is infuriated. And Michael says, Who is like unto the Lord, my God, to stand against his holiness? And Gabriel says, Allow him, the pervert has altered perversion. And as you well know, brother, he must fulfill it. Michael draws his sword from nothing.
and the flames of light from it startles all. Lucifer draws his own sword from nowhere. And Lucifer says, Nobody's like unto the Lord our God, but as long as a worm can rise to lordship and heir of all, we, my brothers, will rise to become like the Most High. And Michael says, Say that again? And Lucifer says, If the Lord says a mere worm from down there can become heir of all up above here and below, then I, being already here, can, and I will become like the Most High. I will ascend above the heights of this congregation and build my throne above all and be worshipped as Lord of all. And from there I shall put man through his trials as now just approved of by Lord. Do you challenge this, brother? Drawing his sword, Gabriel set to war, addresses Isil, who has been calmly watching it all. And Gabriel says, Brother Isil, this call is yours to make. What do you decree in the Lord's name? And Isil says, It's sad that a day would come when we would fight amongst ourselves. Brother, this fool has assaulted the Lord on account of him. Take this battle, brother. And Lucifer says, Dare me. But you will never prevail, holy triumvirates. And Michael says, Sacrilege! Rebellion! This will not stand in the house of my Lord. Like a cursed chaff driven by the wind, your sorry selves shall fall from life to inglorious deaths. Draw and defend yourselves if you can. Lucifer parries the first rain of blows, and the other angels, drawing their own swords, attack Michael to defend their Lord. But like grass, he dashes them to pieces and matches up at Lucifer and beat him down. Having fully overpowered him, Lucifer asks him, and Lucifer says, Have you secured Clarence from our Lord and this? And Michael says, Whose Clarence do you secure for this perdition? But that was all Lucifer wanted, distraction. He uses the opportunity and tumbles Michael down, but Michael does not touch the ground before he takes him back on. By this time, the miffed angels draw their swords, and the entire space explodes with a mighty clash of swords and blows. Gabriel and Esau follow the lead of Michael, beat the hosts of heaven twice their number to task. After what looks like a while, the entire forces of Lucifer decimated and thrust down. Michael gets the final hook on Lucifer, eyes burning with rage, makes to finally strip him of life while Isol stands now on top of the divine stairs with Gabriel beside him and watches their brother finish Lucifer. Lucifer cries out with a loud voice, hands stretched towards the divine stairs where Isol watches with Gabriel. Lucifer says, Lord! Leave me be as you have made me and let the entire host of heaven see if this man in whom you have placed so much confidence will not fail you. Then a shaft of light from the vault beyond the stairs descends and separates Michael from Lucifer who now is completely beaten and battered. And God says, Leave him as I made him. Let's see how his provision will favor him. Lucifer, you've spoken. Make sure you live up to your vow, and we will see if you can attain salvation by the route you have perfidiously carved in creation. And Lucifer says, Thank you, my lord. And Michael says, But not in this heights, for the ungodly shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. He picks him by the scruff of his neck and hurls him down. And Michael says, 
Let them all who stand against our Lord be hurled down to the lower region of darkness. The warrior angels throw all the bad angels and throw them down. And like a group of badly beaten and battered bundles of no lights, they fall down screaming and wailing. And Lucifer, falling, shouts back even as his voice recedes. I will be back! Michael! Lucifer will be back and you and yours will bow to me as victor over all. I will win over man and take his place in the Lord's will and you will worship me as he. A room in the second heaven day. There is complete silence there. Michael is seated, boiling. His sword lays on the floor beside him, shiny. An angel walks in carrying a tray of a goblet of grape wine with glowing glasses. He places the goblet of grape wine as if to lay it on a stool beside Michael's seat. And from the ground, a stool of light sprouts and on it, he places the tray. Michael does not give him a single look, but keeps his eyes in space, boiling. Battlefield in the Third Heaven Day Michael turns to look at Lucifer as he rises from being slammed down by him. Lucifer makes a run at Michael screaming, but parrying his blow, Michael thrusts him through the head and a deep shaft of light pours out of the space, lightening his sword. And when he pulls it out, Lucifer drops and heals instantly rising again. And Michael says, I will thrust you through a thousand times, brother. Yet that will not sate my rage at your perdition. And Lucifer says, yeah, I see it. Even you, loyal one, are piqued by this travesty of the Lord's called Project Man. You merely take the rage out on me and mine for the courage to stand up against it. Michael charges at him, loads him up with a hundred blows, and then smashes him against a boulder of shimmering rock. Lucifer expires and panting slowly begins to laugh at him. Lucifer says, You're a bundle of wreck energy! Big brother, I wait for the day your rebellion ripens like mine. You think because man is your principal project as firstborn of the Lord's, his glory will burnish your honor? No! The Lord shamed you by making you bow to him, and now you boil impotently? And Michael says, I am Michael, a bond slave of the Lord, my eternal king. Whatever pleases him commands my adoration between his supernal majesty. And me, there exists no hurt feelings. There exists no rebellion. But in his name and service I live. Laughing with a stamp of mockery <laughs> on his handsome but now marred face, Lucifer teases. Lucifer says, Even when man fully comprehends his identity, right and privileges God's special creation, and is exalted in the mount of the congregation above you and yours, I imagine man towering next to God and the word as exalted victor above all, and you remain as you now are, world without end. He slams a harsh kick on his face, picks him by his neck, and screaming with rage, flings him against another boulder of shimmering rock far away. And Michael says, You father of indecent suggestion, rebellion and discord, go to hell! Michael hears a sound, and he turns round with growling face, and eyes burning like a pair of flames newly kindled. A room in the second heaven as above day. God comes into the room in the form of a man, most glorious and awe-inspiring. The lights around him overwhelm Michael. And Michael says, 
Oh, my Lord. Michael drops on his knees, terrified. And God says, be steadfast, always immovable, always abiding by the truth I gave you. Michael, thou victorious one, rise and look, for I do not come in my glory as God and eternity. Rise and let's speak father to son. Michael godly rises to his knees and God continues, stand upon your feet, son. We need to talk. Michael rises to his groggy feet. God makes the sit, and the sit all lit and resplendent in multiple colors shows up. Michael looks at him and is coward. And God continues, I see your lower brother's words of rebellion forms a seed within you. And Michael says, I fight it with all my force, father. And God says, yes, father, that's what you call me. And it's all by grace and license, but you'd have to earn it by right. Michael says, Lord, and God continues, by primal creation, you call me father. Yes, I created you and put my life on your inside to animate you. But for now, you're more aware of the servant side of you because of the servant mind I allowed on you. So you can serve me in my worlds, but beyond service, you're my son. Connect to your mind always, and that mind you must know as my pure essence. Obey it and cast all negative thoughts of your brothers down by it, and you shall prevail. Michael falls on his knees and grovels before the Lord. And Michael says, Help me! Help me, most potent and alive one! I burn in the rage of my fallen brother's words and rage against your design. I could kill him a million times and more. And this rage will still reign and burst me in many meaningless pieces. Then he realizes the command to stand upon his feet. And he jumps back to his feet, clasping his hands before his face. He bows in reverence. And God says, that too will pass if you contemplate my face, which I now show you, son. He disappears from the scene, leaving the place as a normal second heaven room. Michael finds himself still on the same position. He was on his chair before the rage carried him away to the scene of fight with Lucifer. He looks down beside him and sees his sword still shining there. The ambrosia is still as arranged on the shimmering stool. He pours himself some generous quantity and gulps it. An Issel comes in, drinking all by himself, this victorious brother of mine. He lowers his drink, and a calm look swells his face at the sight of glorious Michael. He holds his goblet out to Issel, and Michael says, Share this goblet of grape wine with me, my brother. Issel stops in giving him a curious look. He takes his eyes back to the outstretched goblet. And Issel says, What's your doubt about me, brother? Ask me, and I'll tell you. Don't offer me a goblet of grape wine to steal thoughts from my head. Realizing it, Michael laughs uproariously. And Michael says, You're ever so straight, Issel. If anything, it's you who'd have my thoughts by drinking from my half-drunken goblet. Can't you see my essence is the one so mixed? Not yours yet. And Issel says, yes, isn't it said that given is the doorway to receiving? And Michael says, so I'm giving you my thoughts 
so as to have yours. Preposterous brother. Drink! Isol collects the goblet and drinks, and as he finishes it all, he freezes. Michael gives him a teasing look. It seems as if scales fall off his eyes. And Isol says, You saw God in a different way that we have ever seen? He came here? You saw him? How? How? How was he? Gabriel enters at that point, and Gabriel cuts in. Cut it out, clowns! Isol turns to exultant Gabriel, and Isol says, Michael hasn't said, but his thought harbors it. Gabriel chuckles, and Gabriel says, You share goblets now? Then he freezes to instant reality, and breaking off, turns to Michael. And Gabriel says, You did, Michael? And Michael says, The war is over. And as it is my duty, I'd go take care of the realm, and ensure that there's no residue of Lucifer around in person or thought. Taking Michael by the hand, Isil follows him out, and turning to Gabriel, he teases. And Isil says, And you'd give Gabriel an opportunity to do his cleansing when the time comes. As for me, I've handled the administration of all lives. As for you, Brother Michael, your works are all done. You can rest a bit and leave us to work. And Michael says, See, Gabby, Isil won't give you the slightest chance to wipe the slate clean for a new beginning. So in his books, as the Lord's number one, he's got all the work. We have done ours. Let's wait, do the errands, while he maintains the realms. Isil watches them leave and mix with the environment like glory dust and smiles to himself. Uriel shows up from another entrance. And Uriel says, Leave those two fast friends, and let's talk about little brother Luce. You think he'd ever be all right? And Isil says, I don't harbor rebels in my thoughts. I think about man now. The sharp rebuke is quite evident in Uriel by his response. He repents of his unacceptable response and switches fast to the acceptable. And Uriel says, With so much hatred, you think man would be okay down there all by himself, brother? And Isil says, Say it, Uriel. And Uriel goes on. You know very well that Lucifer and his hordes of rebels are closer to man than we are to him up here. He's taking over the entire lower astral as we speak. And Isil says, Yes, I know it. The lower astral may have direct control of the physical regions controlling Earth, but even the Lord's influence looms large there. Do you think the Lord will expose man that way to such a wheelie friend as Lucifer? And Uriel says, Yeah, the Lord is the inconceivable one. Bless him. Isil nods and heads out. Chapter 4 A Space in Lower Astral Day The wounded angels are healing up slowly, not as fast as they did in the higher plane. Lucifer is at a corner grieving with so much pain and anger. His belching rage is flinging things and casting any angel that dared near his domain. He seems all energy and no control now. And Lucifer says, I, 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 booted out of the Lord's presence. I, 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 I say I, like a common cannonball, shut down from the sky with ignominy. I, who's ever heard of the travesty of one falling from home? A big angel signals another set of four big angels with plans to rush at him and pull him down. But they are debating the rationale. And Lucifer goes on.
What did I say amiss? What did I do wrong? Just because I stood up for what is ours? What's the rights of all angels, powers, and principalities? And those non-skull elders can't see? Oh no! They're blinded by the grapefruit wine of the Lord. Puny grapefruit. And all those moments of being blissed up by the Lord's aura once in a while. The hefty angels rush at him to pin him down. And Lucifer says, Get off me! You pieces of chaff blown down from on high by the angry gusts of Michael and his host in the name of love, blinded father. Off you! The angels land really hard on their backs and sides, some of their heads from the gust of dark orange lights from Lucifer. And Demon 1 says, He's all energy and no sense. And Demon 2, By the way he's going, he'd waste out and be useless to us all. We need him. And Demon 3 says, So, do we try again? And Lucifer says, I, 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 Lucifer, son of the morning, cast down next to hell? And you try to stop me from grieving? You fools who couldn't hold your own against Michael and his puny host. You let me down up there and you want to... Do you all have any idea where we are? And Demon 1 says, Guys, I think it was a bad idea to have tried. And Demon 5 cuts in and says, He's sure now going to take it out on us. And Lucifer continues, Am I not talking to you? Do you have any idea where we are now, numbskull demons? A hush runs through the entire army of battered and healing angels at the use of the word demons on them. Lucifer senses it and turns to them all. He suddenly bursts out laughing. And Lucifer says, What did you think? Did you steal angels? Angels served the Lord from the first and second heavens along with the archangels, while I and the archangel were serving at the third heaven. But look around you. Where do you think this is? It's not even the first heaven. It's the lowest part of the first heaven. Do you hear me, demons of Lucifer? You're now demons. No more angels. And I am still Lucifer. Our fall has made us all to lose our original estate and we have now been transformed into hideous beings forever. He is charging at the five menacingly. A dainty but strong angel crosses his path. And Lucifer says, Eastern Star, only you will dare, right? And Astaroth says, Lord Lucifer, son of the morning, your people need leadership. And Lucifer says, Oh! Of course they will get it when the tide runs low. But now the waves are criminally high and dark and it will take you first. Astaroth says, We need you, Master Lucifer. And stop grieving over the loss of your position with the Lord. Look! Look! Look around! She points at the large garden earth where man is busy fellowshipping with the animals. And Lucifer says, Man? Astaroth says, Enemy! There is your enemy, for whom you lost your place in the higher planes of higher angels. Grieving and feeding on us wouldn't change a thing. And Lucifer says, I don't need change. I need transformation. Astaroth says, 
You boasted before the Lord of the higher realms that you would take man's birthright and return to be worshipped by them in line with the Lord's decree that man must be worshipped by all. And Lucifer says, Yes, I said it. And Astaroth says, Then do it, Master Lucifer, if you have it in you. That piques him. But beautiful and sensual Astaroth has since bowed in deference to him. There is a long silence in lower astral. And Lucifer continues, Hell's just a stone throw from where we are, and it's now under my command of the Lord's will. Any one of you who controverts me again will be thrown in there. Always remember it in your thick skulls. I own that place now. All bow to him. And Lucifer continues, Eastern Star, rise and come with me. We've a lot to do about this worm that hardly knows itself as man. And Astaroth, rises and the five bow incessantly to her for saving their lives even the entire congregation of falling angels bow to her with adulation she soaks it all in feeling sexy and powerful in her great gait earthly garden day man is playing with the animals riding on the back of a zebra he leaps onto a tree branch where a beautiful serpent is watching he pulls it with him and they both wrapped in each other fall to the ground far, far below. But a sea of large eagles pilots their way, wings fully stretched out and picks them before they land mines. And flying like a coordinated Air Force team, they come low to the vast ocean teeming with water lives and let them off. They hang in the air and watch what becomes of them. A school of dolphins come out of the water to catch them on time to beat the longing sharks to it. Two of the eagles use their wings to cover their faces. The dolphin swims with them. And man rises on one of the dolphins and dives onto one of the sharks, wrapping his arms around its massive neck. The shark rolls round and round, churning water. Man dives on the tail of another shark close by. The one he chose escapes from rises on its tail and, towering high to man, salutes. Man, giggling allows the force of the tail flip by the other shark to send him shooting in the air until a dolphin catches him and swims him to shore. He makes a mad race for the forest where the animals and birds await him. He touches everyone he can afford to touch on their heads as he keeps running along. The birds form a tail and wings for him. He keeps running until he ends up on a mountain cliff where a fire is burning for him. Some birds fly to him and land by him bearing fresh leaves filled with fruits and vegetables and cask of water made from fresh leaves man bows with a lavish smile of gratitude to them adam the man was named adam with a grateful heart praise to god and adam says lord god almighty i had a blessed day with your sweet little and marvelous creation now i am willing to rest and release them to their lives I really wish that you, most hallowed and most gracious one, will join me as I savor this great gift of food from your inexhaustible bounty, produced by my little friends, the plants and trees. All the animals nearby who imitate him in his prayer pose soon open their eyes as the trees and grass and rocks around take a brilliant form of radiant lights, with a white and blue blending into all the rest. Adam opens his eyes and giggles with relish. And Adam continues, Thank you, Father, for answering me. The light traces his shape, and it simply gets blissed out. The animals stand around, wondering, and bow to him. Adam 
eats and shares his food with them. When he finishes eating, he bows again to pray, and this time the birds carry everything and fly off. The animals begin to live in their pairs after saying a lavish goodbye to him. All the animals leave, male and female, to their respective resting places, some with their babies, others with none being still young couples. Adam sits on the cliff, looking at the sky as the colors change from golden hue to purple and total deep blue with stars showing up. Adam sings, Oh, faithful God, until he sleeps off. All the while we see Adam in the guise of the archangels above, clothed in ethereal garbs, through which his skin colors shines forth. He switches color as he dims fit, depending on his mood. Sometimes to tease the deer, he comes out as brown as they, and when he finds himself before the baboons, apes and gorillas, he takes on their skin tone and they cover their faces laughing at him, telling him to change to something else that it does not suit him. He also laughs and moves on. In the midst of the flocks of white birds, he takes on a dazzling white form and the birds cover him up as he spreads out his arms and walks on like a large cross of birds. At night, while he sleeps, God sits as Esau looks down from the super-council plains and whispers to himself. And God says, It is not good that man should be alone. Divine Abode in Super-Council Plain Day From that height, God in that human form with which he appeared to Michael, but this time in an unimaginable splendor of lights, looks and reaches forth to run his cool light all over sleeping man. Man's sleep gets really, really deeper. And God says, I'll provide for him a worthy and matching partner, so he too can fulfill all parts of his destiny. He picks man up in his arms and rocks him gently. And in that instant, man becomes a liquid form of multicolored lights in the crook of God's massive arms. He reaches into the pool of the rib and daintily pulls out a female form out of it and gently lays it beside him, kissing them both. He lays them to sleep again. He pulls away from the scene. Earthly Garden Day Soft romantic music plays at the background. Adam is still asleep. A splash of water hits his face. He slowly opens his eyes, and the form disappears into a corner. Adam stands to his feet. He hears and sees the birds, monkeys, deers, all the animals making funny and sniggering noises around him. And Adam says, Hey, fellas, isn't it too early to play pranks? A massive lion shows up before him, and a lion says, Good morning, master. You've a guest. And Adam says, Ah? Huh? huh? Not be only guest. Now guess what? Guest me. Guess go. My friends, get on with your jobs. I have my prayers to say. A massive gorilla shows up. And the gorilla says, No need. All your unprayed prayers have been answered by your father. Come, not nice to keep her waiting. Adam says, Hey guys, stop this. I really need to pray. A grand bear shows up from the crowd of gathered animals, and the bear says, Is someone disturbing the master? Or what? And the lion says, Oh, no. Everyone, go back to your duties. The master is not getting the gist. I'm leaving. They all began to disperse. 
The bear then turns to Adam. And the bear says, Master, they're not pulling your legs. You truly, unequivocally, and sincerely have a luscious guest. And Adam says, What are you talking about, mummy bear? My father's the only guest I know. Bear sings. And the bear says, In the ocean, surfing the waves is the glory you've ever desired. A single-hearted desire of your father. God has given an answer to your unprayed prayers. Oh, lucky one, your guest is here. At last, though you've never desired her, your father knew you needed her. And so hurry up and don't delay. Rise, your guest of life is here. All the animals and birds join in the song, dragging Adam here and there, some flying him high and letting him drop in rich, dense foliage of trees, where others pick him up to continue the round. Unlike other times, Adam is not finding this funny. He, however, plays along. They take him round the entire garden, dip him in the ocean and back to the face of the waterfall, and leave him there. Adam, scooping water with both hands, says a short prayer. And Adam says, Glorious Father, Amazing God, Unconceivable author of all lives and their boons, My heart's so filled with bliss and gratitude for these beauties. Filling up this garden and earth, Whether in the air, land, water, or in the holes. He giggles as the sight of an insect coming out of a hole Inspires that line of prayer. Then drinks up the water in his palm. Adam says, ah, refreshingly beautiful. I particularly like the way they roused me from bed today. I'm sure I was less than my usual self as I awakened. From feeling so close to you, I suddenly felt so torn apart, and then you made them cheer me up this way. Thank you, amazing comforter God. Looking down the water flowing placidly, he sees a shocking form. He frowns, amazed. He does not see all the animals and birds hiding behind the bush and trees spying on him. They are whispering. And the bear says, Oh boy, now he's going to find her. And the lion says, You think he'd like her? Nodding him, the lioness teases him. And the lioness says, Did you like me when you first saw me? And the gorilla says, Oh, that one. He fell flat on his belly, worshipping father. They almost roared in laughter, but then they realize the game and hold still. Adam turns round slowly and slowly, and bullseye, there was woman, voluptuous and powerfully sensual and every inch more attractive than he, standing all resplendent in all glories. Adam's heart misses several beats at the sight of her, and the bear says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, why are there no contraptions to memorize this image for posterity behold master melting isn't father glorious in his majestic ways and the gorilla says you took the thought out of my head imagine we had hd cameras both stills and video to record this and show him later this is so so amazing and the tiger says please don't make me cry now many birds and animals began to sob silently at this beauty Adam takes a step, two, three, towards woman, who stands on the spot feeling ever more shy and glorious. Then the serpent comes in. Isn't she gorgeous? 
And the elephant says, You sure took that out of my mouth, snakey. Adam opens his arms for her. Woman takes a step closer to him and stops. And Adam says, You are... Woman comes another step, too, closer to him. Adam is transfixed, carried away by the sheer magic of her charm. And Adam says, Father, what have you done? Thank you. Woman runs into Adam's arms, and Adam wraps her tight and close, and all the animals and birds explode, not able to hold back their jubilations. The two are lost in a tight and romantic embrace. The birds fly and place a gallant on Adam's neck, and a most colorful one on woman's neck. All is so, so beautiful that the animals jubilate and dance. They give woman the sort of treatment they give to Adam, taking the new couple on a tour of the garden. The two keep their loving eyes on each other, kissing, pecking, rubbing each other, and thoroughly loving each other. At evening, while they all gather before Adam's cliff, he rises and raising a goblet of colorful leaves made for him by his friends, the animals, he thanks them. And Adam says, Thank you, friends and family, for this wonderful celebration. It is blessings beyond words to have you all. Thank you. May Father's blessings be upon you all. And Baboon says, Yeah, we say ah yay to that. But one thing is missing here. What shall we call her? And Monkey says, His wife, of course. Baboon says, You're a monkey. Everyone explodes with laughter. Monkey says, Of course I am. Master named me so, and I'm grateful, because I love it. Monkey's good, and Baboon says, and yes, you should be. Gratitude polishes the drabest of garbs. So, Master, what shall it be? Woman looks up to Adam, holding tight onto him, and rubbing his arms tenderly. Serpent says, She-man, how about that? And Lioness says, Shut up, Snakey. We're not here for animal cunning. Let the Master do his thing. Serpent says, Cool. And Adam says, She pleases me well, and I already adore her, as it is. This is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh, and because she was taking out of me, she shall be called woman. This marked the beginning of what would be termed marriage, where a man shall live his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. A hush runs through the gathering. Gorilla says, It is beautiful and smart. All the animals bow to woman. She waves to them, lovingly blowing kisses to them. And Adam says, You can go touch them, show them some love. She nods and runs to do just that. A Hall in Lower Astral Day Lucifer is cold and quiet. He sits watching a large screen on a wall. Evidently, he has been watching all the proceeding on earth in the garden with man and woman, meeting and hitting it off with all the animals celebrating them. And Lucifer says, Call me Beelzebub now! And Astaroth, who was coming in with victuals for Lucifer, struggles between laying them down first and going straight away. This infuriates Lucifer, and he turns a cold face to her. And Lucifer says, they can go to blazes for all I care. Call me. And Asroth interjects and says, Beelzebub, somebody out there, help, call. Lucifer poses well to give her a good look. Asroth says, Luce, you're losing your cool over nothing. 
And Lucifer says, one more. And Astaroth says, you finally have two advantages to floor your enemy, and I don't know why you can't see it. Lucifer slams the arm of what's his sitting on and rises with the fury of hell following. There is orange fire blazing all and engulfing Lucifer as he strides towards her with top speed to finish her off. And Lucifer says, now that's it. She drops on her knees. A hunk of demon saps his way in looking all resplendent in chaotic charm. His whitish pink skin is lined by flat red lines of bruises he received from the war at the higher realm. And Astaroth says, The serpent and the woman are your advantages. Use them now before they consolidate. Astaroth is already trembling at the coming rage, but she must have her say. Lucifer finds some sense, turns to the screen, and he sees how well woman and the serpent are hitting it off. And Lucifer says, What do you see, Bell? And Beelzebub says, I see, my lord, in a murderous state, my lord. Lucifer turns in a flourish to him, and the spirit cowers. And Lucifer continues, Have you ever heard anyone, Michael, Gabriel, Uriel, Isil, or any of the cowering elders, key principalities addressing God this way? You address me, Beelzebub? Fire shoots out of Lucifer's otherwise handsome face. Beelzebub drops on his face before him. Beelzebub, never! My lord, never! I floor my arrogance at your feet and plead for mercy. Lucifer kicks him across his face and calls out his soldiers. They turn out to be the five that tried to hold him down earlier. Now they are well armed. And Lucifer says, Throw my son into hell for a time and half. Let him learn some manners from there, the retard! The soldiers bow, withdrawing, dread on their faces at the intimidating Lord. They are commanded to punish. Lucifer says, Fear and die, soldiers! I commanded it! I own it! Seize my very own son and thresh him into hell for a time and a half! He will come out to see me victorious over our enemy! Now! And Beelzebub says, Father! And Lucifer says, Crying for mercy? <laughs> Beelzebub says, My father! Master of hell, lower astral, and earth, I beg your, your... And Lucifer says, Diabolical majesty, you think to say? And Beelzebub says, Yes, my lord, the diabolical majesty, I plead. And Lucifer says, Never. I'm not God. I don't play pardon games. And for begging, that'll be three full cycle of lower astral times. Hurl him down, boys! The soldiers grab Beelzebub and dragging him open a wall. Screams and tongues of fire burst out from it. They hurl Beelzebub into it and shut it. And Lucifer says, You were saying? The face of Lucifer suddenly returns to normal, calm and sweet as he faces Astaroth. Astaroth says, My diabolical lord, woman is attached to the wisdom of serpent. And Lucifer says, Eastern star, you've made my day. Go feast in the palace of your master. All the ladies and boys are yours for the asking. Pick the best that suits your taste. Let's have a party in your honor for being such a diabolical genius. If this works, if this works, but if it doesn't, hell shall be thy bed for times I may not count. Ask the wrath. My diabol... Lucifer says, feeling it? Exactly, that's how your pleasure feels in my breasts right now. Exhilaration with pending agony. Let's share it. Go! Astaroth rises and swags a luxurious height and delectable body away, all sensual and diabolical. 
And Nazareth says, My Lord has defined hell as a place where pleasures are not well-rounded. And Lucifer says, Smart whore! She throws him a sidelong look, all lecherous and felon. Lucifer returns it. And Lucifer says, The goodwill of hell is half pleasure, half agony, where the mix cancels out all the pleasure in favor of cleansing agony. He explodes with laughter, and she returns it, heading out fully. Astaroth says, Master says it's party time, yo. Let's celebrate the coming doom of man. Where are the musicians? It's playtime, y'all. Lucifer walks around the hall with a powerful swagger, laughing and nodding his head. And Lucifer says, This eastern star, how she feeds me with hope and wisdom. He looks at the screen again. Lucifer says, Drink! Please, who's there? Is there no blood to sate my appetite this hour? Sirrah! He takes his face again to the screen and sees woman turning towards him, smiling lavishly. And Lucifer says, Soon you shall feed me blood of your children, tired of demon blood, not energizing enough, not enough sins in them. From the angle of woman's look, we see that she is actually looking at man who comes through to her. And she dives to him and he catches her in his solid arms. Lucifer sweeps his hand across the screen and the wall shows up again. And Lucifer goes on. Grass ugly spectacle. I'd have to end this fast. Chapter 5 A Plane in the Causal Plane Day Michael and Isol are practicing aims in the open starry vault. The whole place is a stylish admixture of blue, white and gold. Boulders of rocks and mountains are all bathed in sparkling glorious dusts of gold, white and blue. The air that moves against the objects and faces of the kindlings is laden with soft intoxicating music. They are aiming their light bows and arrows at some distant orbs scattered far away beneath them. And Isil says, Your last was a non-aim. And Michael says, How so? But I hit a mark. And Isil says, Sure, but not the mark. You said Mars, but you hit Earth. Okay, now I'm targeting Astral. I Michael says, That has a duty hit. By the way, hold. Confirm where in Astral. Isil gives him a scathing look that seems to say, Mind yourself, bro. And Isil says, You dumb. And Michael says, Home of the Thousand Petal Lotus. Are you kidding? But that's so close. Isil says, That's where I want to hit. And Michael drops his bow and it soon fizzles out into nothingness. And Michael says, you intend to hit Astral? Isil nods. And Michael says, have you taken permission? And Isil, from who? The Lord? And Michael says, ask me that again. Rolling his eyes in great displeasure, he brings down his bow and arrow. And they both fizzle into nothingness. And Michael says, so, as of now, no one actually occupies the Thousand Petal Lotus? And Isil says, I go there sometimes, brother. He goes grudgingly to a rock and sits humming a song to himself. Ignoring Isil, Michael goes to the ground and sweeps open a surface and glass window is formed through which he peeps into the garden with man and woman. And Michael says, How lovely they blend together. Isil says, Too fixated on these humans. And Michael says, Am I? 
And Esau goes on. Even the Lord is not as fixated over them as you. And Michael says, fixated is hardly the word to use for the Lord's amazing love, brother. Esau says, okay. I go back to the school of language. Esau throws a pebble that strikes the surface, sparkling chimes of glorious dust as it lands and takes off endlessly. And Michael says, it would seem to me that someone is spying on them. And Esau says, tell me that's Lucifer, and I take off his head this moment. Esau makes a circle with his hands in the air, and a glass window forms, and through it he sees. Man and woman are having fun riding the animals on their way home in the cool evening, and Serpent is sitting away from the crowd. Flowing beneath the tree he is sitting on is Lucifer, who now calls himself Satan, chatting with him and pointing to woman and the tree in the middle of the garden. And Michael says, I'm afraid there's nothing you can do. Neither of them has prayed to the Lord for help. Esau is agitated. Esau says, How can they pray when they do not know what's brewing? And Michael says, Their senses are far sharper than ours, Esau. They need to use them. They have to be alert always so they know what to pray for. I think the pleasures of the guarding and their attachment to each other has dulled their senses. Before now, all that man did was pray and worship. But since he got woman, his praying time is more than halved. Michael closes his own window and sits back on the ground, crossing his legs and looking up at the colorful and ever-shifting sky above. Then Isil jumps and giggles with excitement. Isil says, not fixated, huh? Come see who's at the garden with man and woman. Without moving, Michael says in monotone, the Lord. Isil responds, oh, so you know. And Michael says, he does that every day after man and woman retire from their day's work and play with the animals. Uriel walks in on them with two other angels. Uriel says, the Lord saw into his new creation that if he gave us such daily attention and companionship. And Michael says, I'd say keep your jealous complaint to yourself. None of us is interested. Peaked, but taking it as usual, he waves it off. And Uriel continues. Well, then how about us competing? And Esau says, I guess that makes sense. What game do you have in mind, Uriel? And Uriel says, how about going to lower astral and chopping some demon heads? The others look away, bored. And Michael says, a crazy thought, but worth it. Even though we know angels can't die, the Lord would never permit it. Asher says, teasing. And Asher continues, what if we did and report later? I so want to chop off that Lucifer to dead the Lord the way he did that day. Oh. And Uriel says, huh, touched. And Isil says, sorry, brother, it's not our call. Man's cliff in the garden, night and cool evening. The stars are brilliant over the river sky and above the dark canopy of the garden. Man and woman are seated in meditation with all their lights blending into each other. When a bigger, but all engulfing and energizing light shows up, and in it is a humanoid form of God, completely different from the archangel. Isil's look, and very much glorious, of same age and height as man. He is encircled by blue, white, and golden lights. He is beaming on them lovingly. In that instant, light versions of man and woman step out of their now very still forms. They, in this form, look every inch like God, sharing the same glorious lights. 
as humanoid forms of light, they sit at the feet of God, who has found himself a seat on a resplendent boulder of rock. At this time, all the evening animals and birds watching man and woman earlier are in a taboo state. Satan, knowing what has happened, realizes that his snake friend has blanked out and become useless. He looks fearfully in the direction of man and woman, and the dazzling light he sees forces him to drop to his face, trembling in cowardice. And Satan says, I dare not worship you now in this state, my lord, but I tremble before your presence in awe. Have mercy. God does not even flinch towards his direction. All he sees are man and woman, with whom he is engaged in verbless concourse. Causal Plain as Elia Day Uriel is furious at the sight of Satan in the garden. Uriel says, The Lord even condones Satan's presence in the garden. And Michael says, The Lord sees anything and everything, but it is left to man and woman to see and do something about it. The Lord has given them dominion over everything on the earth. But do you see them doing anything about it themselves? This is their world. They should use their free will and authority. The other archangels are troubled. Amisha, one of them, goes towards Michael. And Amisha says, So explain, brother, if man and woman allow, the Lord too allows? And Michael says, Since God has given man authority, dominion and stewardship, over the earth and everything in it, the sky above it and earth beneath. God is not going to tell them how to rule and govern it. It is up to man to allow or disallow falling angels in and out at will into the earth realm and into his activities. If man does nothing, there is nothing God can do about it. For if God was to interfere with man's activities without his permission and against man's will, he would be seen as imposing himself and that would not help man mature into what he was created for. So God is not going to do anything about Satan's activities in the garden, even though he sees it all. He gives Isol a knowing look from the corners of his eyes as he says this, not wishing to say it all. The other angels look as if their eyes would pop out of their sockets. Isol points them towards the garden, far below where the humanoid form of God is with man and woman. And Isol says, God is a marvel, brothers. And Gabriel says, Even so is man. He has fashioned man closest to his heart after his own image. And Uriel says, Our image too. I heard him say so. And Gabriel says, Sure. That was he making us understand that man is our brother, but a brother highly more endowed than we, but with a poor perspective of his worth because he has yet to mature to his full status in God. Amisher is seeing the full humanoid form of God come in with man and woman. He soon breaks away from his thrall and announces as if to himself in trance. Amisher says, That is the first express image of God after he made up his mind to start creation. Michael sits up with wondrous recollection. And Michael says, The express image of the Godhead himself. Uriel carried away, screams. Uriel says, The Son of the Lord the first begotten of the Lord, the express image of his likeness, the one that brings and gives him pleasure. The word turned flesh. Gabriel is stunned at the revelation. He stands transfixed. And Gabriel says, Even I didn't know this, 
Thank you, Lord, for making man, for he made this form of yours visible to the eyes of your humble servants. He drops to his knees and falls on his face towards the garden in worship. And Asher says, you're talking about our creator, guys. He falls down to his face, too, and the rest follow his lead. Michael and Isil turn to each other. And Michael says, are you sharing my thought, brother? And Isil says, they are right. The perfect living God himself. They too fall on their faces towards the garden and worship. When they look back at the garden, man and woman have returned to their physical bodies and are opening their eyes, feeling all powerful and blissful. God has left. It is morning again on earth, but hardly ten minutes have passed in the causal plane. The archangels are watching them with pity. And Asher says, there's no way they'd know what Satan. And Gabriel says, it seems dangerous to me. Northern and Earthly Garden Day Adam and Eve, the woman was named Eve, have just come out of the cliff to say good morning to the assembly of their world. All the birds and animals come to pay their homage to Adam and Eve each morning before heading out to their daily task. And a tortoise says, Master, the assembly of animals and birds would want to know what your majesty demands of us today before we do anything else. The lion and the other animals nod in their acquiescence. Adam turns to Eve. Eve whispers to his ears. The animals and birds watch in admiration. The females are imitating same with their males. And Eve says, I think we're just okay. Today, they can do whatever they desire. What do you think, Master? Adam turns to the assembly after a nod to Eve. And Adam says, My woman has spoken. Your day is all yours. Go have fun. As for me, I'm going to ride to the Western Heights to fetch some favorite fruits for my woman. Eve gives him that look that says it all before her words sounds it. Aww, do you have to do all that? Adam says, you said you wanted them last night, remember? And I promised you'd have them first thing today. She hugs him and locks her body on him. A zebra bolts out of the assembly and stations herself before Adam. And the zebra says, At your service, master, if you find your servant worthy. Rubbing her mane, he smiles, kissing her on her long neck. And Adam says, You're more than worthy, friend. He mounts it. Eve holds on to his hand and reluctantly, but endearingly lets go. She follows to a point until they bolt into the horizon. The serpent stays back and keeps his eyes on Eve from the shades. He gives Eve a good look as she takes a stroll around the cliff of her home, her eyes returning from Adam, who just rode off on a zebra with a lion, tiger, and all the swift animals following him. The birds take in the air. It is a great sight to behold. Eve ends up at the bank of Garden River. She is already missing Adam, and Eve says, Why do I feel this lonely and in danger without you around me? Please come back quick. We hear Adam's whisper come in the wind to her face. And Adam says, Worry not, honey. I'll be back soon to you. Love you. A smile breaks out on her face, and she rises in a flourishing turn of bliss. And Eve says, I get it. Facing her as she finishes the turn is Serpent, all decorous and gorgeous. She instantly freezes and then giggles uneasily. And Eve says, You sneaked in on me, gentle beast. Midwestern section of Earthly Garden Day.
Adam instantly stops his zebra and all the animals stop. Leaves and flowers rise to the air as the mighty stampede makes that abrupt halt. And the eagle says, What's it, master? And Adam says, My woman is in danger. And Tigress says, Say, say that again. And Adam says, I feel her shock. And Tigress says, Excuse me? She bows to her male companion and heads back. And Tigress says, I'll see to her safety. Gorilla says, I'll come too. And Tigress says, Relax on this. I've got it. And Gorilla says, Try again, darling. He leaps onto the branches of the trees and speeds his way on. Tigress zaps into the distance. And Lion says, This has never happened before. And Adam says, Yeah, I think I should go back. All is silent. And Adam says, But I'd break her heart if I returned without. And Baboon cuts in. Then we go for what is more certain. Those two heading her way are more than enough for any danger. And Adam says, I guess so. But let's go. He resumes the stampede. Northern end of the earthly garden day. They both begin laughing at the same time. Serpent says, So you choose to stay back today? There's this saying around the garden that man and woman are inseparably linked. And Eve says, Oh, is it? She is flattered and laughs, moving her body playfully. And Serpent says, Well, want to take a walk? And Eve says, Sure. From a foliage, Tigress is watching them closely. Next to her is Gorilla. And Gorilla says, She seems safe and happy with the wise one. And Tigress says, Isn't she too free with the sly one? And Gorilla says, Is that what freaked Master out? Tigress gives Gorilla a look. Tigress says, Was that about Master? And Gorilla says, Never! No way! Master can be! When Tigress gives him the look of, Be careful, he holds back the word freaked. And Squirrel says, Do we go back now? All is calm as far as I can see. Then the two look up to the squirrel hanging on the mane of Gorilla. And Tigress says, Cruel. And Gorilla says, Nuts, friend. Step off me now. And Squirrel says, Yeah, right. So you both can leave me behind, huh? I know they go anywhere. And Tigress stifles a smile. Gorilla rolls his eyes in surrender. And Gorilla says, Better hold tight next time because I'm going to be super wild and reckless. And Squirrel says, Not today. Bring it on, boo. Eve begins to sing. No one like the most high. No sky like the earth sky. Serpent joins her in the song. Tigress gives Gorilla and Squirrel a scathing look for dancing to the music and even singing along sotto voice. Western end of the garden day. Adam stops again and picks the signal from Eve's voice. He slowly joins, and before he finishes a line, all the horde join him and a feast of song and dances follow. Chapter 6 When Squirrel sees the look in Tigress's face, he uses great efforts to alert Gorilla to it. He looks at her, and looking away, begin a rap line to the song. As the song ends with Tigress walking a parallel decoy to Eve, keeping her eyes on Serpent, guarding against any roughness. The music ends. And Tigress says, You're on a mission, bro. And Gorilla says, But the whole world was singing. How could I resist? 
And Tigress says, I feel Master should enact a decree that says to all, there's time for everything. You're not the whole world, bro. And Gorilla says, noted. Well, I've stopped. And Tigress says, ha, lata, ro. And Gorilla says, Tig, you know what? Your strength is, you trust no one. And Tigress says, trust that sly one around the gracious Master's better self? You're a clown, bro. And Gorilla says, but what will he do? He's just a sweet, wise beauty, even though sly. And Tigress says, whatever. But we can't wait to see what he can do before we know it. And Squirrel says, and averting is better than regretting. And Gorilla says, I get it now. They quickly stop in awe at the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. The tree appears to be the grandest and tallest tree around. All psychedelic in shape, almost like the woman. With phallic blue fruits and pinkish stalks. Eve sees it and gasps with awe. And Eve says, Each time I see this, I just marvel at Father's awesome imagination. Not looking at it, but eyes on Eve, Serpent asks. Talking about what? Why would the master go all that end to fetch you delicacies when this is ever right here? Woman's eyes pop out of their socket with dread. And Eve says, Are you crazy? From their hideouts, Tigress prepares herself to pounce. Gorilla says, This is, this is it, the moment. What has he said to her? And Tigress says, Keep watching. Stop talking. And Serpent bows apologetically and most respectfully before Eve. And Serpent says, You're frankly overwrought, my mistress. Have I erred? And Eve says, Oh, yes, you've gravely erred. Don't ever speak of the tree and not ever about its goodly-looking fruits. Never! That's a warning. And Serpent says, Did the Lord say you should not eat of any tree in this garden then? Is that why the master has to travel ever so far? And Eve says, How could you ask me that? And Serpent says, I mean, what tree could soothe one's appetite as this wondrous obscenity? She takes a good look at the fruit of the tree, and she feels turned on. And Eve says, Yes, wondrous obscenities. That's why Father said we may eat of every other tree in this garden, but not this. We neither eat nor touch it. And Serpent says, What? What? Why on earth would you think that he'd said that? And Eve says, What's your point exactly? And Serpent says, My point is the Lord wouldn't say that. Never, ever, ever. Your imagination did. He may have said, Be careful how you eat it, but not to say never eat it. And Eve says, The gracious one said, The day we eat of it will surely die. Do you get it now? And Serpent is overwhelmed. And Squirrel says, wait, guys, I don't get it. What's going on there with those two? Do you want me to eavesdrop? And Tigress says, our duty is not over words, but over action. Let him make any move on her, and we slam him once and for all. And Gorilla says, you think he'd dare do that on her? I'd, wait, what exactly would we do to him? Preparing to pounce now, a serpent makes a closer move towards Eve. And Tigress says, You watch and see. Serpent moves away in the heat of passionate argument. And Serpent says, You either have misunderstood him or something is definitely wrong. Take a good look at the tree and its fruits. You will not surely die if you eat of it. Even God knows that your eyes will be open 
and you see like God himself. She goes dazed for a moment, and all the while enthralled by the psychedelic nature of the tree and fruits. She takes on a weakened look, racked by deep worry and pain. And Eve says, It really looks good to eat, you know. Serpent says, It sure does, my mistress. If God really says not to eat it, your body will this moment resist it. My mistress, tell me, what's your body saying to you? About those wondrous obscenities hanging down the branches of this uh, nonsuch tree of wisdom. She walks closer to it and ends up in the shade where the lights of the tree illumine her. She sighs with sensual arousal. Eve says, But you, Serpy, how did you know this? And Serpent says, You're feeling it, sweet and apprehensive like you've never felt before, my charming mistress. And Eve, breathless, said, I tell you, Serpy, it's abominably sweet. Serpent says, you mean sensually arousing? You feel like taking it even if it's just one of it? Eve says, oh, bless me, Serpy, you're killing me here. How did you know? And Serpent says, you're the mistress of this garden and the entire earth. All things here are yours to explore. I think this is your next biggest test for your next very important level in being. She reaches out and touches one of the fruits, checking it out slowly, romantically feeling it against her cheeks, romancing it tenderly, and looking very aroused. And Eve says, It's so, so, so rousing and sweet-looking. But how did you... And Serpent is watching, feeling almost there. His anxiety is mounting. When she looks back at him, he quickly maintains his non-existent calm. And Eve says, No, no, Serpy. And Serpent says, I think I'm honored with a few secrets of the universe. And you will very well know that I've been here a long, long time before your grace arrived here. So I find it a duty sharing with my dear friends. And Tigress says, What's she doing under the shade of that freakish tree? And Squirrel says, Not particularly the best sight on earth. And I don't find the tree particularly enticing. All I do is pass by it like it never exists. Gorilla says, And it looks like Master's partner is about to... And Tigress says, What's she doing? She plucks one of the fruits and takes a tentative bite, and all of hell watches to what will happen. Nothing. This shocks Satan to his foundation. Nothing happened. And the woman is still like the way she was before she eats the fruit. Tigress says, What was that? Gorilla says, She just eats the fruit and nothing seems to have changed but we need to go get the master. And Tigress says, For once, the knot speaks right. Let's go back to master. Eve is walking side by side with Serpent to the north cliff, eating her fruit, Serpent feeling so exhilarated. The three animals return with great speed to Adam. Somewhere in the earthly garden day, Tigress and her two companions see the stampede coming and they stop in their way. The stampede stops. Adam gives them a good look. Adam says, And my woman? The big two exchange glances as to what to answer. Gorilla shrugs and nods at Tigress to speak, but she is unable to manage a word. And Squirrel says, Can't be more perfect, master. And Adam says, Oh, I know. But why are your companions verbless and glum? 
Tigress? Gorilla says. She ate, and Squirrel flings himself over Gorilla's mouth. And Squirrel says, Ish! <laughs> My gracious master, she had a good deal of fun today, uh, so, uh, so far. And Adam looks at them and feels a premonition. He pats the zebra. And Adam says, Out of the way then! The stampede raises on. A hole in the cliff day. Adam has deposited the fruits and vegetables on the rock table. Eve is nowhere to be found. And Adam says, Where are you? And Eve says, Are you alone, my master? And Adam says, Sure, but why? And Eve says, Just want to be sure. And Adam says, What's this? Since when did you become conscious of others? And Eve steps out daintily, looking and feeling all altered, still beautiful. And Eve says, Here am I, friend and partner. A harsh escapes man's mouth. And Eve says, What? And Adam says, You look... You look... She's moving her body seductively. Adam says, Different. She whispers into his ear, very softly. And Eve says, Tell me how... Different. And Adam turns round to face her. And Adam says, You're losing an unknown emotion inside of me. What have you done? Though here with me, I feel as I felt when I was far away from here. And Eve says, How? What's the feeling? And Adam says, Absence. You're very completely absent from me here. He points to his heart. And Eve says, Then, eat this. She shoots the fruit she reserved for him to his face. Adam says, Step back with it, woman! She does not bulge. She moves even closer with it to his mouth. And Eve says, Do you know how this tastes and feels like, husband? And Adam says, Where did you get this from? And Eve says, Guess. Adam says, I don't need a guess to know the fruit of sedition. What have you done, woman? And Eve says, I did something for us. We'd get to our next level on creation's ladder. Gods. And Adam says, We're already higher than the angels of God. Can't you see and feel it? Can't you hear it everywhere in the air? The wind, the trees, the waters, and the friends out there? And Eve says, There's definitely many more to all of these. Can you see as I see? Adam says, Explain. Eve says, I see you in a way you've never seen yourself and may never accept you eat this. Now, because I have, your wife has eaten it. Adam staggers backwards and lands against the wall. The earth reels beneath him. And Adam says, What have you done? You've broken the heart of father. Woman walks up to him, raises him up by his head, and looking into his eyes, kisses him full in the mouth. And Eve says, Father gave us a test, and we almost failed it, thanks to Serpy. Too weak to resist her intones, Adam, suffering deeply, Oh, it was Serpent then. And Eve says, He's so, so wise. He taught me a whole lot. Let me teach you too, husband. She sits across his lap very romantically, desirously, running the fruit on his lips. Man pushes it away, weak and pained. And Adam says, Yes, I see. So you ate it. She laughs right into his mouth, holding him tenderly, rubbing his cheeks, her groin plastered against his. And Eve says, 
He looks so vulnerable when in shock. Take this. Eat and feel a little different, solid husband. And Adam says, you shouldn't have done this. Father would be cross. And Eve says, father would be super pleased. Take it, honey. He's looking into her eyes, his head spinning. And Eve says, you're not going to eat it? For me? For us? And Adam says, as long as you have eaten it, I've eaten it. We're one the same being. You know that. And Eve says, you think I've done something naughty, don't you? He does not talk. He just fixes his weak and glazed eyes on hers. Adam says, you shouldn't do things like this, knowing that losing you would mean me losing myself. You know, I'm incomplete without you. Yet, you took this dire decision without my input. This is so, so wrong. She chuckles and giggles and begins to laugh. And Eve says, husband... When you take life this seriously, you'd lose all forms of fun. And Adam says, What did we ever lack in this life that we've never been able to acquire on our inside, that you have to seek more, which is nothing but less in the open guarding, wife? She steps back from him, hurt, walking away. And Adam says, Give me that. He snatches it from her, walks outside to the exit of the cliff hall, and looking at the world, he sees serpents standing somewhere, looking at them. He turns his face to him and takes a deep bite of the fruit. From the tree branch, serpent tumbles with exhilaration at the act. He gives the world a second look, as if for the last time, he sinks his mouth into the luscious fruit and eats. The fruit goes from his mouth, through his throat, down into his stomach. And as it reaches his stomach, and the body begins to digest it, something begins to happen. No sooner has he finished eating it than he feels a sensation between his legs. His eyes that were somewhat golden becomes dark brown. From behind, Eve has come to hug and embrace him. The light that wraps him and her unwinds and dissolves like magic dust, and instinctively he flings himself round to Eve, and they lock each other in an embrace. From their respective points of view, some of the animals see man's naked rare and close their faces in shame for the first time. For the first time, Adam and Eve come fully realize that they have not only lost their godlike glory, but that they are naked and ashamed, and this frightens them. Darkness spreads across the garden. The whole place is enveloped in cold silence. Causal plain as earlier day. Amisher, Asher, Gabriel, Isol, Michael and Uriel stand still, dazed, mouth agape, their colors fade. And Uriel says, Surely the Lord is going to send Gabriel this time. I sense a cleansing. And Esau says, Our work's lost. Gabriel says, Oh dear. Asher says, I'd so kick that Satan. And Uriel says, Satan did this? You'd surely pay. And Amisha says, This is enough for the Lord to make us take him out for good. And Esau goes on. The Lord won't. I feel Satan just fulfilled his vow. He's won over man and will now have his inheritance. Gabriel rages. Gabriel says, That can't be. I won't bow to Satan, nor would the hosts. And Michael says, On the contrary, let's see what the Lord will decide. I feel this failure is failure of our embryo, not of the total man. And Esau says, My take too. 
the entire seeds of man have to fall to Satan for him to bear rule over the entire realms of man. And Uriel says, Your logic is laced with fear, brothers. Wait for the Lord's judgment. For me, I know Satan won this fair and square. Man is finished, and the realms belong to Satan, except the Lord has a game plan. Chapter 7 The Throne Room a million angels lift their trumpets and blast them non-stop in the heavens of heaven plain, looking up as a stairway of lights open up and descends from the super-causal plane into the causal. The archangels in the heavens with the twenty-four fall on their faces as the appearance of this stairway is of anger too much for any being to stand. Far ahead in the super-causal stairway, millions of lights forms like horses, chariots and trumpeters line the path both ways and from the head a massive shimmering, turbulent ocean of thundering lights appears to be crashing down, folding and unfolding with rage. Everyone present is dead silent in grief and pain. A thunderous voice speaks from the ocean of angry light and God says, I've tried to find man, but I cannot. Does anyone know where he may be? Everyone is bowed in silence, and God says, Should I send Gabriel to fetch my son, or do I go down there myself? An unseen voice speaks from the midst of the lights above the super-causal stairhead. The voice is uh, hypnotizing and sweetly calm, but no one knows what it says. They hear it as a strain of powerful music that stills even the tumbling ocean of angry light. As soon as the voice stops, the ocean of shimmering light, together with the super-causal stairway, vanishes with the receding voice of God. And God goes on. Go back to your duty posts, all of you. I will yet have a little mercy, but the law must be appeased. A Hall in Lower Earth Satan is seated on his high throne, a little calm, but somehow nervous. He is facing Astaroth, who sits calmly playing with the shimmering beads on her neck. And Satan says, Call me my son, Beelzebub. And Demon One says, Master, you locked the prince up in hell. And Satan says, Oh, I did? Then release him. I need his comfort for this hour. Are you crazy? Astaroth says, Only two people can deliver from hell. Master, you and the Lord. At that, he rages, and Satan says, Let nobody ever, ever, ever call him Lord in my presence. It's my world from this day onwards. All bow, trembling at the burning Satan. And Satan says, Call him Lord? You die in hell forever. Have I made myself clear? The entire lower astral is trembling. From an opening on the wall, a dark swathe of smoke belches out, and following that is a gust of orange flame, and finally a figure, healing as it comes out of the fire, stands still until all the fires and smokes are sucked back into the opening from hell, and the space closes up. In that same instance, Beelzebub heals up and takes on his wanted form. Diabolically glorious. Beelzebub says... What then do we call? I mean, how do we address him? Lord? And Satan says, Who released you, demon? And Beelzebub says, Hell heard your voice and said you probably may be calling for me. And Satan says, I call for you? 
I call you out. I don't need your help. I'd need your service. If only you've learnt your lesson, demon. And Beelzebub goes to his knees differentially. Beelzebub says, Here am I, Lord. And Satan says, Have you learnt your lesson? Groveling at Satan's feet and kissing them at the foot of his throne, he weeps. Beelzebub says, Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Please don't ever take me back there, I pray. It was so lonely and dreadful. No company, no lights, but ruin. Shame, guilt, and regrets reign there. Please, powerful Lord, I beg you. And Satan says, Get used to it, all of you, for we all must end up there someday in our appointed time if we do not win this battle over man. Even if we do, the Lord will still send us there because of his obsession with his laws. And Beelzebub looks at Satan in the eyes, shocked and pained. He lets out a loud howl of deep pain. And Beelzebub says, Not good, not good. What can anyone do but suffer in hell? And Satan says, Shut up! Or go back even now! And Beelzebub stops in an instant. Satan takes his seat. Satan says, Rise, everyone! All rise to their positions. He maintains a false calm, looking at a spot and later speaks calmly, deliberately. And Satan says, Man has broken the law. Hours have passed since this happened, and the Lord has done nothing. Is God suddenly partial? Does he intend to blame us for it? Yes, we suggested, but he had the right to refuse. But did he? His wife took it in. And he follows out of blind passion for her. Flesh rules people. He breaks into a smile, then a chuckle, then a big laugh. And Satan says, Astaroth, your plan was wonderful. But if the Lord doesn't act, Astaroth rises to her feet with eyes on the screen beside Satan. Astaroth says, The Lord is in the garden. And Satan says, who is in the garden? Satan throws his face to the screen, but sees a huge pillar of humanoid fire. And Satan says, The Lord God. He bows his face to the floor, and everyone else with him obey. And Satan says, I beg you, most just and righteous God, punish them, for they've broken your law. All the demons with him intone, Amen. Northern section of the earthly garden, cool evening. The form walking in the garden this evening is all shimmering light in a humanoid form. But this humanoid form is huge and frightening, completely different from the one who communed with them in the garden. The entire garden is engulfed in blazing lights, but the lights do not consume anything they pass through. All the animals and birds freeze. The trees, grass, and plants refuse to sway. They stay still. And God says, Adam. We find Adam in a thicket of bushes, clinging to Eve. They have made articles of clothing from leaves and tiny climbers to cover themselves. And God says, Adam, where are you? The voice of God is calm, but uneasy. Man responds, stepping out of the bush, tentatively, still cringing. Eve is pulling him back, fretfully. And Adam says, here, here am I, Lord. I, I had to hide from you because I realized I was naked. 
And God says, Naked? Did you eat of the tree I forbade you? God turns a cool face to him. And Adam says, It was this woman you gave me who made me do it, Lord. For once, Eve feels betrayed by Adam, and she feels alone. When God turns his attention to her, she goes down on her face and points an accusing finger to Serpent, who remains frozen some distance away, just like the other animals. And God continues, What is this that you have done, my child? Salted in tears and trembling on the floor, she confesses, and Eve says, Lord, I was lured to it by Serpent. He made me do it. He spoke so wisely and irresistibly persuasive. God takes his face from Eve to the serpent who remains in his frozen state. And God says, I see you've both consented to the beguiler. As the Lord turns towards serpent and in that statement, the four-legged serpent, subtle and beautiful to behold in its own light, except that colorful scales as if it were wearing a coat of tender milk constitute on its skin, breaks out of the tableau and goes down on his face before God. And serpent says, Lord, God most high and terrible in majesty, I was possessed by Satan, who made me do it. I meant no ill. And God says, Because you have done this, you are cursed beneath all the animals of the land. Upon your belly shall you crawl from this day onwards, and dust shall be your food. Serpent melts like water onto the earth, and all the pool of colorful water between where his feet once were elongated forward and backward into a long and mighty snake. From the depth of the bush, Serpent's companion drops too, as does the male, and they crawl to meet each other, others looking at each other with horror on their faces. God never stops talking. And God says, And because of this conspiracy between you and this woman, to alter the state of my creation in this earth, I shall instigate a generational enmity between woman and you, serpent, between your seed and her seed. While you shall bruise her heel, her seed shall bruise your head. Serpent and his companion, lamenting their fate, crawl into a corner by a tree base and wait for the final verdicts. God turns to the woman and a whimper escapes her throat. She is sweat-drained and trembling uncontrollably. And God says, And as for you, woman, your sorrow and conception shall be greatly multiplied. In deep pain and agony shall you give birth to your children. All your desires henceforth shall be tied to your husband, and he shall rule over you. He turns to man, who lifts his face to God in shame and pain, tears in his eyes. God holds his eyes in his for a long, long while and shakes his head in pain as if unwilling to say what he wants to say. Man goes down on his knees before him, resigned to the coming curse. God heaves a heavy sigh and speaks, and God goes on. You've listened to the seduction of your wife, and you've done what I sternly warned you against. That ends with a heavy strain. All the animals are still in their tableau, God pronounces with heavy force. And God continues, Because of you, the ground is cursed. It shall grow weeds, thorns, and briars for you. In abject pain and sorrow shall you fetch your food from it. All the days of your life, you will eat vegetables and medicines provided by the plants of the wild. With hard, 
hard labor, and serious strain shall you earn your living until the day you drop dead and return to the dust from where you came. Because as you stand now, you're all dust, and to it you shall return. And God continues, Michael, go and secure the tree of life, least man goes and eats of it, and remain in this sinful state forever. And God drives Adam and his wife out of his garden, and the garden was removed from the face of the earth forever. Adam drops flat on his face when God finishes talking. He is panting and groaning, not daring to beg. In that instant, God disappears from the place. It takes him a while before he raises his face to see the whole animals, who were once his worshippers, gnarling and snarling at him and Eve. Eve whimpers with shock, trying to come to terms with the new aggression. Adam rushes at her and, pulling her up, drags her away to safety. The animals organize themselves into a mighty force, and behind them, standing with a flaming sword, is Michael. The moment he flashes the sword, the animals charge at Adam and Eve. Adam lifts her and runs with a superhuman speed up the cliff and dives into the place. The birds, led by the powerful eagles, soar at them. But just as they near the entrance, the mighty rocky mountain empties itself all the way into the womb of the ocean. Adam finds himself in the bottom of the water, floating in the cavern of the sunken rock. Eve passes out then, begins to sink. He swims to her, grabs her, and locking his mouth into her mouth, he swims with her up to the surface. As he swims on, shark tails are coming all around them. He lowers his face into the water and sees all the wicked teeth bared at them. They are surrounded, and Adam says, I have accepted your verdict. Against it I make no plea, but I resolve to serve it gratefully and purposefully. But this one thing I ask, O Lord of justice and mercy, do not let me or mine suffer the exuberance of dumb forces in the name of your judgment. You're merciful and compassionate. Act according to your loving kindness upon us. He punches some sharks that come too close to him on their noses and kicks as many as he can, determined to live. In no time, light shows in the midst of the water, and the school of dolphins scare the sharks away. And carrying Adam and Eve, they drop them on the other side of the shore across the massive ocean. He manages to resuscitate her, and holding her in his arm, Adam keeps looking at the lost garden, which begins to disappear from sight slowly and steadily. The animals that were chasing them, lying by the shore, watched them being ferried away by the dolphins. When the animals look behind them to go into the garden, they notice a tough, gruff jungle has replaced the spot they once had the garden. They turn back to the receding form of Adam and Eve and begin to growl and gnaw at them in anger, finding themselves in a new land. Lower Earth a party is ongoing in the open. The stage is fully set with a rock band playing. All the demons are dancing, doing backflips, body contortions, kissing and rubbing their bodies against one another in a wild, orgiastic flow. The vocals are wild. The demon band leader is singing a rock song. I told you I'm going to get you. Satan is watching the scene below from a high tower of lower shimmering lights. Next to him is Astaroth. While Beelzebub is down far away from the reveling horn, making some entry into a big book of light with a torch-pad keyboard. Standing by the window of the tower, Satan broods while Astaroth watches him coolly. 
Astro says. Master's not so pleased with today's victory. And Satan says. The Lord is so smart. He didn't curse man. And Astro says. What curses more than what he suffers now for the rest of his life? And Satan says. He cursed the ground. He cursed serpent, our vassal. And left both man and his wife untouched by a curse. And Astro says, so? And Satan says, so? I cannot yet take his birthright. What I want is the birthright, remember, dummy? Astaroth is looking at him amazed. He looks back at her and snaps. And Satan says, what? Astaroth says, you can't get it, can you, master? And Satan says, then make me get it, sir! Astaroth says, the mind of man has been signed by the atmosphere of the curse. His environment is blasted. What is left is to give him a series of physical misfortunes to plant the idea of rejection, of being cursed into him. Once he feels cursed, then he is truly cursed. The scene is set for that as we speak. Make him, then we will release upon him and his woman all of God's creations, the angels of death who will gradually spread death into man and all of creation. And Satan says, Suffer? Astaroth bows as if the idea came from Satan himself. And Astaroth says, That's my lord. Your wisdom is deathless. Thanks for enlightening me on this. And Satan says, Sure. I'm still the servant of my lord. Okay now, go work with Beelzebub. Organize the institution of multiple and consequential sufferings for man. I want him to see himself as the body he wears, and at best as his mind that directs him, so he's perpetually enslaved. Around and within him, I want violence, I want lies, I want deceptions, I want ego, I want lust, I want attachment. I, I want anger, I want greed, I want sickness, I want disease of all kinds, I want... Fill him up! I want you to replace all that, bring good around him with evil. Hate, disdain, self-pity, murder. I want you to show him what hell looks like and make sure after it all. He never remembers that he was once a son of God, sir. <laughs> Asaroth says, You've said it all, wise master. And Satan says, Oh, okay, I said it all. Ask Beelzebub to add this in a full chapter titled, The Physicalization Come Mentalization of Man. That trips Asaroth. She jumps with a glee. Asaroth says, Master, you're great. Making man see himself as the body he dwells in, or at best the mind that directs him, will make him subject to duality and will thus be torn apart. Subject to materialism, he will be food for us. Satan stops at the word food, and Satan says, You said food? Astaroth says, Yes, I said food. You know, food as in food. And Satan says, Did you read the judgment of the Lord very well? And Astaroth says, I'm waiting for Beelzebub to codify it. Just then, Beelzebub appears with a big black book of light, actually a touchscreen computer. And Beelzebub says, Talking about food, my lord? And Satan says, What did the judgment say about food? And Beelzebub says, Man's to get his food from the sweats of his brows. Impatiently, Satan hurries him on. And Satan says, I know that. Who doesn't know that already? What did he say of serpent's food? And Astaroth says, Dust shall you eat. Satan says, That's to whom? And Astaroth says, Unbelievable. Serpent. To, to serpent, my lord. And here it says the man, You are dust. Satan and Astaroth hug each other and break into a dance. Beelzebub says, So, 
Man was, after all, cursed. The book drops from his hands, a mischievous green nuts his face, and Satan says, When the Lord was cursing serpent, he was actually cursing us. You know that? Astaroth says, I knew that. So it's the Lord's riddle. He has declared a war between us and man for all generations. And Satan says, And he has unevenly matched us with man. We're to feed on dust, people, and man is dust, people. And Beelzebub says, But man is not dust. He is the essence of God. And Satan says, Yes, dummy. And that's why we must make man believe that he is physical, flesh. Once he swallows that falsehood, he dies and we rip his birthright. They celebrate, dancing. And Satan says, Fill my goblet, Sarah. The servant demon quickly fills his glass with wine. He drinks it and sighs. And Satan goes on, Can't wait to drink the first goblet of man's blood. And Astaroth says, Patience, master, patience. We'd get there, just let man rear. And Satan says, Okay, you both can go, assemble the wisest elders, and plot the physicalization of man. We must be fast before man discovers the riddle of the Lord's judgment and ambushes us. A room in the lower heaven day. Our family of archangels are all seated apart in the luminous room, all gloomy and pained. Michael shows up from nowhere in their midst. And Michael says, Hail all. And Uriel says, Back from beating man silly out of the garden. And Michael says, He deserves it. Now let him live like a common earthling and learn his lessons. And Gabriel says, I hope he learns. And Esau says, It's a sad man day in creation. And Michael says, I saw what you did with those dolphins, Uriel. And Uriel says, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. Uriel disappears from the room in protest. Asher says, Man in distress prayed and an answer was provided to his prayer. So what? And Amisha says, The Lord's curse did not include them bleeding. Esau says, Seems you have taken sides with man. Gabriel says, You clearly had fun, brother. But look around you. All of the plains except lower earth is in gloom. And Michael cuts in. I saw the light slightly on my way. And Yusuf says, so give us a break from the fun of your trip. And Michael goes on. People, chill. I didn't go there on my own. The Lord commanded me. I did his bidding and returned. Whoever does the Lord's will and comes back sad anyway. And Asher says, then enjoy your bliss and spare us. He too disappears. Rising, Gabriel tells Isil and Michael. And Gabriel goes on. Be ready. I see you both getting really busy down below. He disappears. A hilltop on earth. Cool evening. It is a dreary hilltop that overlooks a winding farm road. Sophia, a dashing young lady in a long green frock, is watching Cain in a distance directing a pair of bulls dragged cart filled with fruits and vegetable toward her direction. She smiles lavishly. And just as she cups her hands over her mouth to call out to him, she hears movements of a herd and panicky bleating of sheep. She turns around and her face lights up with blissful recognition. Abel is panting after a stubborn ram which has scattered a flock of sheep all over the hilltop. Sophia knows what her brother is after so she squats, digging in her heels for the ram running her way. And Abel says, Sophia, be careful with the ram. It's a most stubborn type. The ram makes a detour off her right. 
but Sophia dives and catches the ram, holding it by the horns and pinning it down. Abel says, Easy! He runs to join her and extricates the ram from her iron grip. And Sophia says, Thank you. Abel laughs good-naturedly. And Abel says, Actually, thanks for helping a helpless brother out. I'll repay you. He is fighting to keep the ram calm and in an instant hefts it on his shoulder and gropes his way downhill. And Sophia says, You owe me nothing, brother. And Abel says, Your beautiful frock is stained. I'd have to see about that. And Sophia says, I'm not complaining. I can wash my own dress. She waltzes round. In the meantime, Cain has covered some distance and has got closer. She dashes down the hill and heads towards him. Front of a wood house, cool evening. Adam, who is now very hardy and sun-tanned, is cleaning up wools and at the corner of the house. Eve is spooling some threads. A little girl of about twelve, her name is Doria, dashes out of the house very displeased. And Doria says, Mother, mother, I don't like the way you give us tasks, and I'm left always to do them alone. Why does she always end up in the fields while I prepare dinner all the time? Eve does not respond to her. She keeps at her task. And Adam says, Doria, tell me, what do you need help on this time? And Doria says, Father, it's not fair that you have to always help me. You also have your tasks. I want whoever has a task to work at it. I would be glad if my sister works with me. Abel rounds the corner with his ram now on his back struggling. But his raw force and muscles contain the big creature. They all turn to him. And Doria says, Brother, be careful. It would hurt you. Those horns. You need some cords to bind it. She dashes into the house. And Eve cuts in. How can anyone work with that one when she sees all to be done and goes for it herself? And Abel says, Whatever her complaint about Sophia is, it's proper, mother. And Adam says, Oh, come on. She's only just too enamored about the hills. And Eve says, Oh, well... She thinks these are beautiful. Poor child, she didn't see the garden. Daria runs out with a long cord and hands it to Abel, who promptly collects it and sees that she has already made a noose of it. And Abel says, What can life be without sisters like you, dear Daria? He forces the noose round the neck of the ram and ties it to a post by the house. And Adam says, And what's that poor creature done? And Abel rises to face his father. The Lord God deserves a sacrifice, doesn't he? Our harvest this year again was marvelous. My flock has multiplied tremendously. Yes, I lost a couple of them to bears, lions and sub dogs. But what I took into the year multiplied above my expectation. Daria, excited. And she says, and the biggest and sternest of his lambs. Mother, isn't brother generous? Brother plans to please his maker with the first fruit of his flock. Daria says, ah. Cain, too, has collected the freshness and biggest of his farmyards for sacrifice. And Cain says, I have set a huge altar on the hill there, and I have arranged them there to burn unto the Holy One. A colorful scenery at a lower earth day. Bilzebub and Astaroth are walking down the plain discussing. Astaroth says, This better work. We need a good scoring man. Master has waited for something evil down there since he was chased out of paradise to no avail. Bilzebub says, You wait and see. I can feel a certain bleeding down below. And Astaroth says, I expected you to work on the girls. They're the high passion ones. Beelzebub says, they're the hardest things to work on. Can't you see they don't believe in anything? 
In this stage of the war, we need believers to strength, not skeptics. Astaroth looks through her palm and sees Abel and Cain convene their sacrifices towards the altars. She stops. Astaroth says, It's a lie! You mean they are really going to do this thing? Beelzebub says, This is the right time to work after the vexation. Astaroth says, I'll send some spirits down there to stir their minds. He steps to a side and standing, fixed, he shuts his eyes. Earth, the plain cool evening. Abel and Cain are at their altars setting them up. Their altars are meters apart. Cain looks back to the two ladies watching them from afar. And Cain says, well then, are you coming to join us? And Doria says, what a waste of resources you manage, brothers. She turns and hurries away visibly displeased. Abel turns to Cain, and Abel says, Those two would need the Most High to personally appear to them before they believe he exists. Sophia follows the track her younger, outspoken sister has beaten. Cain says, You too, Sophia? At that moment, a dark shadow crawls across Cain's brows. He looks away, sets his altar on fire, and watches it as it builds under his neat arrangement of vegetables and fruits. Abel, who has since tied his ram on the altar, watches as his fire builds under the dead animal. They both step far back from the altar and kneel down on both knees, hands clasped and faces bowed over the clasped hands, saying their silent prayers. Something forces Cain to open his eyes and look at his altar. All his sacrifices are blown at him by a fierce wind. The fire burns empty with nothing to burn. And Cain says, Lord, why, oh why, Lord? This was for you, my very best of the year. He takes his face to his brother's altar. The fire has consumed the bleating animal, and the white smoke from the burning animal goes all the way up till it mixes with a small shimmering light that travels much closer to the earth towards Abel's altar. And Cain says, You accepted his, but not mine? But why? He gave his best, and I of my best. Why? Abel is absorbed in his worship, too absorbed to feel his brother's woe, gathering his sacrifice one after the other to return to the altar. He is chased away by the fire directing its force at him. Stubborn and desperate, he carries all the elements of his sacrifice towards the fire, using it to shield himself from the fire, and before he knows it, the entire fire dies out. Tears in his eyes, he allows the sacrificial elements drop from his hands. And Cain says, I brought you my best. You give me your worst? What father does that to a child? Abel's voice goes up loud and ecstatic. And Abel says, A father without equal, a God above all gods, plenteous in mercies, grace and glory. Unto you, O Lord, do I bow my head, for you have accepted the humble sacrifice of your slave. Feeling jabbed at his heart by every word from Abel, Cain screams. And Cain says, You've been unfair and unjust to me, O Lord of Majesty. Repent and have my humble sacrifice. Cain is worked up. His face, tear-stricken, is raised up to the still sky. Abel, knees planted deep in the plain, face up to the floating sky, shouts. And Abel says, O Lord God Most High, you are not a man that you should repent, not the son of man that can change. Heaven and earth blaze forth your eternal glory, and forever you shall reign above all principalities and powers, because you are the infallible God, unchanging, unwavering, steadfast and dear. 
Throwing his face from his ecstatic brother, Cain looks up to the clouds and screams. And Cain says, Turn around, O Lord of mercies. Consider the pain in my heart and the desire of my soul to please and worship you. Accept my little gift, and if you want more, I shall fetch all I have to adore you. O Lord, my father. And Abel says, The Lord above all, you're unmovable. What you have decided stands. What the Holy One has decreed is firm. A million elephants tied to it cannot move it an inch. Cain loses it at this time and rushes at his deep in reverie brother, shouting. And Cain says, Your sacrifice has been accepted. Shut up! Shut up! And let the supplicant have his way. When did you become the secret keeper of God, brother? And Abel slowly comes out of his reverie and looks up at his sweaty brother, looking all harassed. And Abel says, Brother. At that time, Cain's dead fire comes back to life. He takes his face to it, and something suddenly lights him up. It is not good. He turns to Abel. And Cain says, Don't call me, brother, for I have found the darkest form of consciousness in you. You kill my fire too? Abel says, Kill your fire, brother? And Cain says, Don't call me, brother. I maintain. He sweeps his powerful arm across Abel's mouth, and he falls flat on his back. Abel does not stay there. He rolls to his feet, arms held out to him. And Abel says, What? Cain rises in the air and knocks him on his chest, flinging him back, wild and hard on the ground. Abel decides to fight back. It ends in Cain using a rock from the altar to smash his head thrice on the same spot. Abel drops headlong and breaks his neck, blood spurting from the spot. His skull has been smashed by the rock and runs into Cain's altar. Cain dashes at him, grips him by the neck and pulls him, but nothing comes from the limp body of Abel. He lets go with a pause, and Cain says, What now? Are you not fighting back anymore? Tired? He takes a good look at the quantity of blood from Abel's head. He dashes for a piece of garment close by, and he begins to stop the flow, muttering to himself, I know you made me do this with your lightless consciousness, but what's this? Stop oozing out. Be damned. Be damned. Be damned. Up, man. Be damned. Up. Instantly, Cain's eyes open and he realizes what has just happened. He totters to a corner, trembling. He drops to his bots, weeping. Cain says, Like an animal for leather, I took the life of my dear little brother. Like a beast without intelligence, I beat my precious brother to a corpse. I've earned the record of the first scion of man to take a fellow life. How will this go upon the earth? The earth drinking this blood will scorn me, won't it? The sky that witnesses my horror will now frown at me, won't it? God damned, earth scorned, I will live my life marked. Then he looks up at the sky and screams. Cain says, Of all I know about you, O Lord, this wasn't one of them. You wouldn't sit by and amuse yourself with this sort of foolery. He takes his face back to his cold dead brother and sighs. What have I done? He sobs violently for a while and then rises to his feet and cleaning up himself, he dashes off far away. Doria, who has run up to the plane to see how they are doing, sees the body of Abel cold. She raises her face and sees Cain running madly away. She holds her brother in her lap and sobs. Doria is muttering to herself, half aware. 
And Doria says, Is this the passage of a man? A bad hole in his head. It goes gone like a quadruped. Her face is a mess of tears and agony. And Doria says, Please wake up, my dear brother. Let this be a bad joke you've risen from to forgive or flog your brother for. Wake up, wake up, oh, wake up, beloved brother. Sophia soon joins her and seeing what has happened, screams, No! Doria, still not fully out of her deep agony, looks around, half aware, but conscious of a coming loss. She sees the tiny speck of cane racing into the unknown, and Doria says, Go, get brother, and make sure he doesn't do harm to himself. We can't lose all the men we have. He's all the man we've got now. Hurry! Hurry, Waterface! Go! Sophia says, You think if we kept him somewhere cozy and treat his gash with herbs, he won't return with time? Dorio gives her that abject look, and more tears stream out of her eyes. Shaking her head painfully, she backs off with terror mixed with a deep sense of horror and loss. Using the back of her arm to wipe the tears off her face, she dashes after the fast-disappearing man. Chapter 9 Adam's Farm Overlooking the House Twilight Adam and Eve are through with their light evening exercises tending the young crops and so decide to head home. Tears are pouring from Eve's eyes unconsciously. Adam stops to query it. He himself feeling depleted. He pulls Eve to himself and embraces her tenderly. Adam says, I may not know the import of a seedless sorrow wife, but we must be rest assured that father superintends it all. He raises his face to a distance behind the house, where Doria is seen leading the fruit and vegetable cart pulled by the bulls. And Adam says, And where are those who went to sacrifice? I see the lady riding the cart home, empty or not. He freezes at the sight of the massive body in the cart and the dry-faced coldness on the rider's face. He squeezes Eve closer as a gasp of pain forces itself out of his mouth. And Adam says, Impossible! Most impossible, Lord! Eve raises her head to look, but he covers her face with his palm. And Adam goes on, It's not a mother's sight, wife. Look onto my palm and avoid the horror. Eve tears away from Adam and dashes towards the cart. Adam inquires painfully from the rider even as Eve runs like a crazed sprinter towards her. And Adam says, Where's the other young man, child? And Eve says, Is this fatigue or what? And Doria says, A rock to the head. He bled all out on the altar of your God. Eve swoons, but Doria, who seems to have suspected it, having leaped down from the saddle, catches her. Adam freezes on the spot, face turned upwards. Adam says, Oh, horror, horror! Tell me, child, what form painted this to our shame? I will not sleep tonight until I hunt it down. Doria says, The only man that now lives besides you is the beast behind this father. Eve turns a weak face to Doria. My own son killed my other son? Cain? But how? They were true friends. He totters, and Doria screams in pain for once. And Doria says, Father, I can't contain you all. Even if I have my own grief yet in leash, join me. Father, you are the only man left 
help a helpless girl. And Eve says, what has the doer done to himself? Didn't he know mother would ever forgive him? Wasn't he aware of his father's love waiting to smother his sins away with a harsh scolding? What did my son do to himself after killing his brother? And Doria says, far, far away, he runs in tatters, seemingly unable to forgive himself, and like a coward, can't face his latest art. Sophia has gone after him to preserve his life. Adam and Eve exchange significant glances. Doria says, I've no idea what to do to a dead man. Can any one of you help? Or will you ask your God about this? A wilderness night. Cain gets to a place and stops running. Sophia maintains her cover to prevent him from sensing her following. She has not ceased crying. Cain is in crazed state. He's looking around as if he could see himself surrounded. A pillar of flaming light shows up before Sophia in a humanoid form. Just the way it appeared to Adam and Eve after they sinned. Sophia does not waste the time to know what is before her. She drops on her face in reverence, but a form is backing her and facing Cain. And God comes in and God says, Cain. And Cain says, You see me wherever I go. I can't hide from you. Why call? And God says, Cain, my child. Cain drops on his knees, screaming, eyes to the ground, not daring to look up, all his veins stretched out. He is practically soaked in sweat. And Cain says, You see me, Lord. Here am I, broken and enraged. And God says, Where's your brother Abel? Cain says, Why do you ask? Am I my brother's keeper? Declare your purpose and end this touchless affair once and for all. My life's a joke. Even you hate it. Why suffer it to persist anymore? On her knees, face to the ground, Sophia cries endlessly. Now there is absolute silence. Cain awaits, resigned. Sophia says, Have mercy, have mercy, Father. God turns to Sophia, and the orange flames in his form drops significantly. Cain, eyes to a dazed and crazed spot, speaks to himself in soft, deranged tone. How can a human being die so easily like an ordinary beast? A blow? No, I won't lie now. Several blows to the head. On the same spot, a man drops with a grunt. Like a common beast of the field, he falls. And, and the heat seeps out with the warmth of life. Gone. Gone. What was it that left him so? He, he turned so cold and uncooperative. And Sophia says, I see you, Lord. And now I know you indeed are. Honor your glorious name on this day I met your eternal glory. And save the life of my man. I pray you, O oh fearsome one. Cain says, He won't move. He won't respond to tugging. He won't listen to your terrified cry. He goes wickedly on caring of your woes. He won't even heed a cry of remorse. God nods to Sophia and turns back to Cain who now screams, frotting from his mouth, eyes still on the dazed and crazed spot, shaking all over in agony. And God says, Your brother's sacrifice was accepted to me, and I took it, but yours wasn't. 
but instead of you to introspect and seek the origin of your woe, jealousy entered your soul and sin came to your door so that it bred in you murder. Now sin is at your doorstep. What will you do with it? Cain slowly tearfully turns to his sister Sophia, who is also sobbing. He quickly tucks his face on the ground. God continues, But you shall be a fugitive and a vagabond upon the earth all the days of your life. And Cain says, I killed my brother in my moment of madness, and I will be forever marked for this. And it shall come to pass that someone else will see me and murder me. Is that not the world you have made for us to live in? A place of consequences, whether consciously or unconsciously. A tiny speck of God's light pulls out of his form and strikes Cain on his forehead. And he drops down, unconscious. And God says, By this mark, every man shall know you as Cain, killer of his own brother. And whoever touches you to kill you shall pay with his own life. At that, God turns back to Sophia, all his orange content gone. Now all colorful and radiant speaks to her. Behold, your man, Sophia. Then she sees the unconscious Cain. She rushes to him and holding him on her bosom, she massages him until he opens his eyes with a furious jump. Sophia says, shh, just you and me, my man. Nodding and ashamed to look at her eyes, he speaks. I don't know him to be that merciful. It seems something about you kept me alive. Sophia says, God's not dumb. He won't stifle the growth of his creation because one man was stupid enough to sin. And Cain says, Why did you beg for me? I killed your beloved brother. And Sophia says, And you're my beloved brother. Now, my man. He raises his hand and touches her on her cheek most tenderly. And Cain says, I'm not a violent man. I have no idea what happened. Something, something horrible was present at that altar. Sophia says, Own this up, man, and atone for it as a man. Cain touches his forehead and feels nothing, but Sophia can see a red splash on it like a paint. Cain says, I felt a blow here. Can you see any harm there? Sophia says, It's nothing, just the precious design that pronounces you uniquely saved from death. She kisses him on the mark. Cain's hand goes up and rests underneath her full left breasts and looking into her sparkling eyes suddenly realizes. Cain says, You are mother! And Sophia says, And you'd be father, my man. And Cain says, You must go back to them. When I sought myself, I'd come back for you. And Sophia says, There's no coming back there for you. Cain, the horror of their pains would kill you. And Cain says, So I must keep moving. And Sophia says, like a fugitive and a vagabond upon this earth. And Cain says, Ah, oh, okay, that's it then. I'd be that, a fugitive and a vagabond upon the earth, with no one to care for him. And Sophia says, I will care for you. I will be beside you all the way. And Sophia says, both fugitives and vagabonds. And Cain says, no, no, no. You're the purest human I know. And they cannot suffer the loss of three-in-one twilight. You have to go back. Sophia starts sobbing and holding onto him, shaking her head, refusing to move. And Grandpa says, Many decades passed. Adam, Eve, and Doria never set eyes on Cain and Sophia again. So the culture of the world was then, 
Cain was permitted by God to marry his sister and start another life in a place they named Nod. Cain holds her tenderly, sobbing. They end up kissing and engage. Sally's Girly Bedroom Night Sally's eyes bulge open with deep interest. Mom and Dad are equally transfixed by the story being told by Grandpa. And Sally says, He did? And Grandpa says, Yes. Cain raised a family with his wife, Sophia, and the Lord God showered them with the gifts of inventions and music. And Sally says, What about Adam and Eve? What happened to hard-working and brave little Dorian? And Grandpa says, Doria had a little brother because Adam and Eve decided to have another baby whom they named Seth. Seth grew up to marry his big sister Doria and they also had their own family. Then after a ripe old age of 969 years, Adam died and was buried. Eve too also died and a new generation of humanity spread far and wide on the earth with varied culture and beliefs. And Sally says, it's bulwarks from the culture and tradition of Cain? And Grandpa says, We cannot say we're not supposed to see people as belonging to a sinner's family. Everyone is a sinner, Sally. The treason of Adam and Eve in the garden brought sin to the entire human race. Since we are all offspring of Adam, sin became our nature from birth. What Cain did was as a result of the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. It is a ripple effect, my dear throughout all of humanity. And Sally says, So, everyone really sins? And Grandpa says, Sure. But a wise man said, To be born in sin is human, but to remain in sin is satanic. And Sally says, Did Cain remain in sin, Grandpa? And Grandpa says, I cannot say, but this I can say to you. Child, the game of making humanity a slave of the flesh and mind, which Satan started, as I've shown you, continued with full force. There was so much wickedness, as man multiplied on the face of the earth. Beautiful daughters were born of men, and this attracted falling angels from the lower realm to come and have sex with them, and they in turn gave birth to giants. All these vexed God, and man that used to live for up to 900 years and more, he cut short to 100 years. This was what Satan promised God he would do, and he did, and is still doing. But if man's humanity fails God, though that cannot happen, so, in order to save his creation, man, he had to do something he had never done before. But he may do it again if we do not learn from the past. A busy street in the land west of Eden. Cool evening. The streets west of Eden from a bird's view is busy with activity this cool evening. The houses are well built with communal style where cluster of houses line the streets to form blocks behind which a promenade where young people organize spectacular shows. The front has an ample space of a minimum of 30 meters before the expansive roads on which chariots, horses, carriages run. The roads have sidewalks on both sides for pedestrian activities. The main house is situated to look over the main road and behind it is a house if the householder has just one wife or two houses if he has two. The two houses are smaller than the main house, which is always large and expansive to cover the wife's house and on each side of the main house, householder's house. 
is a fence eight foot high stretching from both ends of the main house to connect to the wife's house or houses. Windows in the wife's house are cut only on the side facing the main house, so no openings are available outside the courtyard created by the fences on both sides of the main house. The only way to the courtyard is either through the main house or from the back of the wife's house. This style of housing is repeated for the grown sons who have taken for themselves wives of their own. So if a man has four sons who are married, seven more of this sort of housing style is built beside and around the main one to complete a cluster. Relatives live in extended clusters as this. Each cluster of houses shows the number of wives and number of grown-up male children the head of the family has. Each attached house signifies a wife. One block equals a cluster. And when the family cluster ends, there is a road or street before the next cluster begins. The promenade, 60 meters wide, separates one cluster from other clusters of family houses behind. And the promenade contain storefronts signifying the businesses each quarter is adept at. At the close of business each day, after families have had their dinners, the promenades explode all forms of fun activities involving mainly youth, while the streets in front have householders doing their own things. This evening, the promenade in uptown west of Eden is busy with music and dance. Some fire eaters, contortionists, horse, gamers, wrestlers, sword fighters, and gamblers are busy entertaining those whose talents are not steep enough to be in the games. Here too, at corners hardly private, young men and married men with no qualms are taking advantage of the displayed but unspoken offers of the psychedelic ladies strutting their things around. Soon, the ladies and the solicitant men disappear into corners. Some ladies to approach the self-offering ladies, and where the offers are acceptable, the ladies disappear into corners with the soliciting ladies. As the night falls, they do not need to go anywhere, as many are willing to look away and face the shows while they do it in the open. Sometimes, the entire gathering ends up blending into an orgy, where those who do not have the stomach for it leave. A street in uptown west of Eden, morning. Noah Lamech, dark tan, solid, tall, and great looking with full beards and flowing curly dark hair, is riding in a carriage drawn by one of his sons, Shem, down the street. He is standing in the carriage and holding a scroll and calling out to those who care to listen. Many are not listening. Some are scoffing at him. Some are asking him to get off their faces and face his life. Some think, discussing it in their circles, that he has lost it finally. And Noah says, The lands west and east of Eden, and yea, the entire land of the Most High, is weary of our evil ways. Citizen One comes in and says, What do you understand by evil, Mr. Lamech? And Noah says, My beloved brother, Jubal, whatever distances your heart and mind from the Lord your God is evil, it is on the records of our minds that we cheat, we steal, we prostitute our bodies, we do violence to our neighbors, and even members of our families. We've not remembered the love of our eternal Father to reverence Him by loving all humans and showing kindness to animals and the weak ones among us. We, and Citizen 2, says, Shut the f*** up, Citizen Noah. How can we worship an abstract concept you call God? Your father Lamech caught the same disease from the father Enoch. 
who out of the confusion of his own face killed himself in some cavern and we cannot find his body to bury. But everyone else lies that God came down to swallow him up. And Citizen 3 also says, You tell me, how can anyone in his same mind love a weird God who's in the business of kidnapping people? Or what do you say that God did to Grandpa Enoch? Jimrod? And Citizen 2 says, Come here, you. Are you dull of hearing? I said it rumored by worshippers that the f God f***ing swallowed Grandpa Enoch up. Why make me repeat myself? And Citizen 3 says, Oh, come off it. Your tempers are high. Drank too much already? And Citizen 2 says, Oh, you think a thousand flagons from that cheap tavern can dull my consciousness? All right, then. You said it. A drinking match between us? Let's go. Hey, people. Jim Rod wants a drinking contest. Who cares to come lend some hands? Off to the tavern, people. And Noah says, Wake up from the stupor of the intellect and seek deeper within your souls for the right way. And Citizen One says, Oh, for peace's sake, cough, Noah. A deal is afoot here. Citizen Three continues his challenge with Citizen Two, ignoring the presence and voice of Noah. And Citizen Three continues, I didn't call for this, but since you've asked for it, so be it. Let's do it. Let's go have some fun, people. To the tavern! And Noah says, The Lord is faithful, and just to help us recover ourselves from where we lost it. The gathered crowd begin to chant, To the tavern! To the tavern! To the tavern! And Citizen 4, a stately lady of means and influence, calls out to Citizen 2 from her chariot, which stopped to listen to Noah's preaching like many others. And Citizen 4 says, What's the incentive for the contest? What do you wager? And Noah says, To be born into sin is human, but to remain in it is satanic. Do not provoke the Lord to a higher anger. You have this day to change your ways. Tomorrow may not be available to you, beloved people. And Citizen 5 Someone shut this bearded loon up for us. By the way, Citizen Noah, have you no work at the ark today? Or is it finally finished? And Noah says, That ark will be finished one day, and if you were not inside of it, your fate would be sealed. Repent of your evil ways and seek the Lord your God now. And Citizen 2 says, Oh, for decency's sake, Mr. Lamech, we're on to something serious here. How do you live anyway? No fun? Nothing? Always screaming and crying like a demented fool when not building your humongously outlandish ship? Go back and keep at your ship that is never finished. And Citizen 4, What's this talk about the ark? Is it real? Noah, you're expecting a flood from the sea or from the ground? And Noah says, the sky will open up, and the earth will spout endlessly till every life form is drowned and buried beyond discovery. And Citizen 3 says, Seriously? Like, really? Really? Seriously? Mr. Lamech? Water from the sky? Is this fellow mad? And Citizen 4 says, He sure is! And Citizen 3 says, It's practically impossible for water to come from the sky. It's never happened! And Noah says, 
Things happen because the Lord God makes them. They don't because the Lord God stays them. Would you rather tempt His Holiness, provoke His supernal majesty with your lewd ways? And Citizen 5, What's this fellow smoking? And Noah says, The God of our fathers spoke to me. And the crowd says, You need your head examined, Noah! And Citizen 2 says, Hey, forget this loon, kid man. What do you wager? A bag of cash? It better be huge so the laws can really hurt. And Citizen 3 says, You want it to really hurt? I say, bring your two wives along, man. I'd bring mine. And Citizen 4 says, You've got only one wife, Jim Rod, and you want him to bring his two? And Noah said, These macabre transactions with you and the devil must need to stop this moment, for the Lord of all lords will no longer tolerate the life of debauchery we have been leading. And Citizen 4 says, Speak for yourself, Brother Noah. My day can't even spell the word debauchery. Everyone laughs at the joke. <laughs> and Citizen 3 says, It's all I've got and will ever have in a wife. He's got two. His two equals my one. If he wins mine, he takes all mine for the night. And if I win only one of his, I take not all of his. He'd still have one to return to. It's got to be equal on both sides. Bring his all, I bring my all. Even if my all is one and his all is two. Do you get it? And Citizen 5 says, Makes sense, Jimrod. Go for it. And the crowd says, Go, 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 go. And Citizen 3 says, Done. And Citizen 2 says, Cool. I'm not only going to flog you tonight at the table of men, I'm also going to take your lonesome wife to make three of my bed tonight. Poor, poor dear. And Citizen 3 says, You have no idea. Your wives are mine, brother. And Citizen 4 says, Well then, to the tavern all, let's go! Her rider pulls the bits and her chariot leaps forward and the crowd of horse riders, chariot riders and carriage riders heads to the same directions. Noah cries after them as they breeze past him gleefully, totally ignoring his presence and his words. And Noah says, Oh, ye sons and daughters of the Most High, living below your birthright, the Lord your God and eternally beloved and lover is calling you to retrace your steps or be destroyed. The flood is coming. The flood is coming. It will not tarry. It will not be stayed. It is the anger of the Lord God of hosts. It will not be appeased. Repent while you can. Michael shows up before Noah on the road while the crowd speeds on towards the tavern. Upon seeing the archangel, who is smiling to him with much love, both Noah and his son Shem bow their faces to the ground in terror. And Michael says, Noah, the ark is finished. And Noah says, I've some more work on it to do, my lord. And Michael says, Thus saith the Lord, the ark is finished, and this earth is finished. Hurry, take your family and the animals in pairs in. Take seven pairs of the clean, and two pairs of the unclean, as you have been instructed, and go into the ark now. Noah takes his face to the happy, tempting crowd, jeering at him and his son. They cannot see the angel. The angel does not look their way either. And Noah says, tears flood his eyes, All of these dears to be lost? And Michael says, It's their choice, Noah. 
Or can you love the asset above its owner, creator? And Noah says, Have mercy on my foolishness, my Lord. I will go and do as you command me. The archangel disappears from the road, and Shem, sobbing, turns the carriage round and heads for home. While the receding crowd facing the tavern, looming large ahead, jeer at them. Chapter 10 The Tavern Night The revelers are cheering the two, drinking themselves to stupor. Jimrod's gorgeous wife is with him, hand on his shoulder, urging him on. Jubal's two psychedelic wives, one tall and slender with sensual grace, the other plumb and curvy, standing on either side of him, cheers him on. And Grandpa comes in and says, No one listened to Noah except eight persons who were of his family. At the background of the tavern, men and women, women and women are feasting on one another's naked flesh. Music of the strings and drums and flutes is charging up the place. A plane of the antediluvian earth night. Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japhet with their wives, and Noah with his wife are guarding and guiding the animals into the ark. The ark is a massive structure about three stories high. The rains have begun to pour down from the sky. Noah and his wife look up with painful wonder. And Noah says, Oh, faithful God! And Grandpa says, The animals went into the ark in pairs and the flood came. The Tavern Night The sound of rain drowns out the music and noises in the tavern. Every reveler stops and freezes from their play to listen with disbelief. A reveler looks out the window, reaches her hand out, and is terrified at the sight of rain on it. She takes her face to the rest who see it. Now, it has never rained on the earth since it was created, so this is new and very strange to them. And Citizen 4 says, Rain! Rain! Citizen 2 says, Noah! They pour out of the tavern like a stampede. The street front of the tavern night. The crowd of confused and blasted citizens head towards their chariots and carriages and horses racing. The street is strewn with other citizens running towards the same direction uphill. And Grandpa says, when the antediluvian world saw the rain come down for the first time in the scientific history of their time, they believed Noah, but it was too, too late. The Ark Hill Night Noah has just entered the Ark and looks back to the crowd of yelling and racing people calling to him. And the crowd says, Noah! 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 Wait! 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 Noah, whose face lights up with pain and slight relief, makes to pull the door open, but a gust of wind slams the massive door on his face, forcing him to fall in. The crowd outside stops, and when they look behind them, an ocean surge as high as the sky and spreading from east to west, rich with howling tumults, races furiously towards them. They take their faces towards the ark and make a mad dash for it, but they're only a speck before it, 
the wave washes them away, and the ark sets sail. The frame of Esau, lighting the entire night sky in orange, blue, and white lights, watches on as the entire earth is washed over by the flood, with houses, trees, and mountains being submerged. Girly Room Morning As the morning sun poured into the summer unlivened downtown LA, Mum has set the breakfast table. Sally is holding Grandpa's hand as they descend the stairs, heading for the table. Mum and Dad are seated already. And Mum says, Honey, say grace, please. And Dad says, Let's pray. They all bow, holding hands. And Dad says, Our Father Most High, we're grateful to be alive. We're grateful to be healthy enough to desire breakfast. Please kindly accept our sincere thanks. Help us to sincerely always accept your gift and the greatest gift of all your gifts, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Redeemer who has made the burden of sin sowed in us by Satan to be lifted through simple faith in your word, of whom he's the express manifestation. In his name we offer this meal as a sacrifice of praise and thanks given unto you, O Lord, most high, blessed forever. Kindly put our hearts at rest by helping every hungry body, every hungry soul to be both fed by this sort of material food and the food of the word for the soul. Let no child hunger, let no mother starve, let no man lack anything, and may all who contribute to any of the elements that make this food we're about to eat be blessed in abundance. May every organism that died for us to have this be blessed above words. For in Jesus' name we prayed. They all say Amen. Sally, however, is very thoughtful. Mom sees it and signals to her to eat her food. Grandpa sees it and smiles to Dad, and Dad asks her, Got any issues, Sally? Sincerely, Dad, I'm so sorry, but I have no appetite. And Mom says, Oh, honey, why? And Grandpa says, A penny for your thoughts, Sally? And Sally says, I don't think the Lord Jesus Christ has lifted the burden of my sin. I feel immense hatred for Bulwark, and I want the God of the days of Noah to punish him the way he punished Jubal, Jimrod, and those citizens west and the east of Eden. Is that too, too hard to wish for? And mom says, oh, Christ teaches, love your enemies. And Sally says, I can't love Bulwark. Such enemies are not to be loved. He killed grandma. She boils out of the dining and heads for the exit door. Family turns to grandpa. He rises from the table. And grandpa says, Sally will be well. In downtown La Porche Day, Sally is seated head on her knees, sobbing. Grandpa shows up from behind her. Without looking back, Sally apologizes. And Sally says, I'm sorry for ruining Jesus' breakfast. Bulwark started it all. How I miss Grandma. Grandpa sits beside her and says, Grandma would wish you forgave Bulwark. And Sally says, Oh no, she wouldn't. I saw her eyes when she fought Bulwark that day. She hated him deep. He takes a deep sigh of regrets. And Grandpa continues, that was why he was able to kill her. Hatred makes you weak before the devil. That's all he wants from every soul. Be hateful, resentful, and vengeful. It gets you easy. Sally said, God's always late. He brought Jesus too, too late to the world. The devil already won. And Grandpa says, Not so, Sally. And Sally says, But why did it take God so long to bring Jesus? And Grandpa says, God needed a perfect couple. You know, a man and a woman who'd be decently married together with a holy nature. So from day one, God started a search. And Sally says, You said Enoch, Lamech's father, was a decent man. Well, wasn't his wife same? 
How about his grandson, Noah? Instead, God used him to save just eight people and animals. A paved street in our day, Grandpa says. God's countdown began with them. Let's jump to after the flood and after the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar and go as far as Or of the Chaldeans. Abraham, well-built, broad, and of a sweet mien, is seated in front of a brick house watching the busy street as merchants with wares on their heads, pulling carts, driving animals, zip and zap, past the front of his home. And Sally says, Where was that? A carriage comes to halt before the house, and Terra steps out of the cart, pays the rider, and thumps his boisterous way onto the landing of his house. He sights his son Abraham rising reverently to greet him. And Terra says, Abram, you've been waiting long. And Abram says, Not at all, father. And Terra shows a skin of wine on Abram's chest. And Terra says, Good boy, tomorrow you marry. Sarah is as virtuous and gorgeous as you said, and her family is a decent one. Abram feels relief, washes his own face, and the man laughs boisterously into Abram's face. And Terra says, I see you're happy, son. You'll have her, great Sarai. Now, where's that girl that ever makes me happy? Where's your mother, boy? Before Abram's voice and indication can speak, a sweet female voice rings from within the house. And Terra says, Oh, precious wife, this son of Naor, your lord and husband, is back home. Happy with the bride choice our son has made. And Grandpa says, Present day Iraq. Terra's courtyard, cool evening. A wedding party, according to the ancient Iraqi custom, is taking place. Abram is the groom, and a sweet-looking, all-radiant Sarai is the bride. She looks charmingly and dauntingly into Abram's adoring eyes. And Grandpa says, Abram, by his parents' approval, married the bride of his choice. She was named Sarai. The party lingers into the night, and the sun drops from the sky. Abram's Bedroom Day Abram and Sarai, entangled in a most romantic love contact after making love, remain in a bed of soft linen and guns with Sarai wide awake smiling happily into her sleeping man's face. Abram's Bedroom Night Forty-five years later, a more mature and ever-radiant Sarai and Abram just finished making love, and Sarai is looking away as Abram pelts her back with hot and endearing kisses while tears roll down her cheeks. And Abram says, I told you, Sarai, I married you not because I needed a baby maker. I married you to love you and adore you. Wife, can't you take me as your own son, my love? And Grandpa says, beautiful as Sarai was, she was unable to bear Abraham a son. And Sally says, the devil didn't want Jesus to be born, yeah? And Grandpa says, but Jesus will be born, as you already know, honey. And Sarai says, A wife's pride and duty is to bear her beloved a child and more. And Abraham says, A wife's pride and duty is to accept the devotion and adoration of her husband, unmitigated by needs. Let me love you without you sorrowing over what you can and cannot do for me, my love. At that time, God, in the form of Archangel Esau, shows up in the room. The cool, soft breeze that moved the curtain alert the couple to look that way, but they are unable to see his luminous presence in the room. However, Abraham hears him speak. And God says, Hello, Abraham. Sarai, who hears nothing, returns to her position as before, 
But Abraham is fixated on the position. And God continues, Get up, Abraham. Abraham stands up from the bed, looking at the direction the voice is coming from. And God says, You will have to leave this country, leave this house of your father's, and go to a place I'll show you. I promise to bless you, Abraham, and make your name great. I will greatly multiply you and bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall derive their blessings. As he finishes these lines, the archangel departs. Abraham finds himself still caressing his wife, Sarai. The moment he gets to himself, he gets up and turns to Sarai. And Abraham says, Did you hear the Lord? And Sarai says, The Lord? And Grandpa says, Abraham convinces Sarai, his wife, to heed the voice of the Lord. And so they moved. A mountainous road day. Abraham and Sarai, with their servants, heed the voice of God as they journey to a land unknown. Grandpa says, Abraham was 75 years old when he heeded the call of God to depart from his people. Plain of Moray in Sichem Night. The small party of men, women, and livestock with other belongings get to an expensive plain, and Abram stops. And Abram says, We stop here to make camp. The entire party obeys and begins to make camp by building tents. Abram and Sarai work together raising their own tents. Every single man and woman of the relatively large party is busy with one assignment or the other. Work done and over, Abram lays Sarai on a bed, watching her sleep off. He steps out of the tent to inspect the entire camp, and as he moves from one tent to the other, hearing sounds of marital and other activities, a smile breaks up on his face, and then he feels a presence to his right, and when he looks there, Archangel Esau is sitting on a rock with a glow of gold, blue and white lights about him. Abram stops, and when the angel turns his radiant face to him, Abram, afraid to look him in the face, drops his face to the ground and worships and Esau says to your descendant Abraham I will give this land when Abraham lifts his face to speak he finds the spot empty all he sees is the rock the angel had sat on and grandpa says in reverence to the Lord Abraham built an altar to the Lord with that rock he saw him sit on the present Sally's parents house Porsche day Sally takes a sullen face away from the old man and looks down the street where some activities of the neighborhood are beginning to take place. And Grandpa says, Remember the rest from Sunday school, child? Sarah later had a son, Isaac, who God asked Abraham to sacrifice for him. Abraham thought hard about it and came to the conclusion that if God can keep his promise of giving him a son after 25 years in his old age, then God was able to bring his son back to life. So he took Isaac to the mountain God showed him to make the sacrifice, and when he was about to do it, God told him to stop, and then provided him a ram to sacrifice in his son's place. Isaac grew and got married and had a son, Jacob, who wrestled with God. Sally turns her awed face to the old man, and Sally says, With God? Trickety. Headquarters of the causal plane day. Asher arrives the ethereal bridge where Esau is standing with Michael and Gabriel fascinated by the sight of Jacob sleeping. Gabriel says, He's a rather willy and patient one. What do you think? And Michael says, Rough on the edges, but the Lord dearly loves him. And Esau says, 
Let's see how much lies in him. And Usher says, What's the plans, guys? Isil says, There's no new plans. Excuse me? And Usher says, I'm asking what my lord has in mind for the worthy one below. And Isil says, oh, Just a little game with a man, that's all. And Gabriel says, And the idea of the game? And Isil says, Let's see how much of attention he can maintain and how desperate he is for success. Isil descends. Chapter 11 Brazen Serpent And Grandpa says, They set out from Mount Hor along the Red Sea Road, a detour around the land of Edom. The people became irritable and cross as they traveled. They spoke out against God and Moses. The Israelites says, Why did you drag us out of Egypt to die in this God-forsaken country? No decent food, no water. We, we can't stomach this stuff any longer. And Grandpa continues, So God sent poisonous snake among the people. They bit them, and many in Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke out against God and you. Pray to God, ask him to take these snakes from us. Moses prayed for the people. God said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a flagpole. Whoever is beaten and looks at it will live. So Moses made a snake of fiery copper and put it on top of a flagpole. Anyone bitten by a snake that looked at the copper snake lived. And Sally says, So why did Jesus come, Grandpa? Aerial view of Israel in the days of Rome Day. Roman charioteers and foot soldiers parade the various streets. A market looms large somewhere and frenzied activities ongoing there. On a wide street leading to the Temple of Jerusalem, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, rabbis, worshippers and guards are seen heading to the temple. And Grandpa says, Roughly 3,000 years later, after conquering the challenges of Egypt, Assyria, Syria, the Medes, the Persians, and the several challenges on the dense earth, the offspring of Israel, a special race loved and protected by the very powerful archangel, favorite of the Most High, settled full in Palestine with a history and an inimitable dynasty tracing its origin to King David. When the time was set for the liberator from the Most High to arrive the scene, the Roman Empire had taken over the world, and Israel was not spared the scourge of their reign. A few sects, the Maccabees, who waited earnestly for the arrival of the Messiah, became a scourge in the skins of the occupying Roman forces in all of Israel. Satan's grip on the earth appeared to be total, but he was only just beginning. The Third Heaven, Always Day The Supreme One is walking in the lights and music dusts of the realm. The air here is supremely light. The entire place, golden, blue, white beams of light which do not hurt the sight. There is no solid thing here. As the Supreme One, all simple and a form of light, gets to his seat, he looks around the assembly of his sons seated before him, reverently. He speaks. And God says, Since the willful treason of Adam and Eve, man has been under the savagery of their arch-enemy Satan. Now, Lord of the earth, who had deceived Eve to Eden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam also choosing to go into her way, this made them to lose their true nature, righteousness, and identity as sons and daughters of God. 
and so taking upon themselves sin, which is the true nature and identity of their new master, Satan, who has since then taken over the realms of man and all that was under his domain, which I give to him when I first created him and made him Lord and master of all that is in and upon the earth and the sky. Now Satan has set his kingdom over all that was once under Adam's rule and has brought death and darkness over all and also into the hearts of man. And God continues, Now behold the cries of my sons and daughters on the earth are piercing through my heart. The tricks of your wayward brother Satan is making it impossible for them to live right and become what I created them to be in all their full potentials. They need a liberator. Who shall I send? And who shall go on on our behalf to redeem man for me? Deliver them from their accuser who constantly accuses them before me day and night. I want someone who will not condemn them for all their shortcomings, but show them how much I continue to love them and want them back here to me so that they can once again possess their rightful place in my kingdom. From the twenty-four elders seated, and all the heavenly host, one from amongst them, called the Word, from his right-hand side, rises and bows to the throne of the Father before kneeling. And the Word says, Father, here am I. Please kindly find me worthy to serve your supernal, ineffable majesty down there. Send me, O Lord. The entire assembly rise and began to clap and the clap is as that of a majestic symphony of uncommon music. The father looks at him and says, My son, my wisdom, the essence of all my creations, my word, only you indeed can liberate your brothers from their adversary, the wayward one, ever so greedy for a kingdom of his own. However, you are well aware that you are my full essence, you are who I am. You can kill and make alive. You also know my patience towards the adversary, and that he will throw all evil might and devices against you. He will not fight fair, for he is desperate to win this war. I am not sending you to challenge the adversary of man, but to show man that what he lost from the beginning is now fully restored through your dying on the cross and taking all his sins, his transgressions and his iniquities. Show man how much I love them and how far I am willing to go to prove that love. All that will believe you and receive you to them, I will give the power to become and be called the sons and daughters of God. They will once again share my glory and carry my power and walk as God on earth and through them will I liberate the earth from all its disasters that came to it through the curse. And the word says, Father, I am yours to live and to die, to be honored and to be abased, to glory and to suffer. I shall endure the hatred that man will show me because they do not know you, and I will show them the love which you have shown me, and I will liberate my beloved brothers, your children, your creations under Satan's maniacal rule. Release me, Father. Let me go. And God says, Go, my beloved son, give them the secret of my word. Teach them the secret virtue that conquers Satan. Whoever follows you and accepts you as my essence, the same shall obtain abundant life that I will give to them. God comes down from his throne and picking Christ in his arms, he embraces him 
and the musical symphony following the embrace of father and beloved son is enthralling. Then he releases him, bowing finally, the word leaves for earth. The Heavens of Heaven the archangels see the uncommon manifestation from the supercausal plane. They bow their heads, the angels in the astral plane, as the entire gateway is thrown open. Lift the trumpets, begin to blast it as the word of God starts to make his way down from the supernal stairway. When he makes his way out of the ineffable lights, Gabriel cries out, The Lord himself. The word of God turns to him and smiles. Gabriel bows before him, face averted. Gabriel says, The word of my Lord blazes my heart and keeps me intoxicated. In his glory I delight all my life, and I need nothing else, my Lord. Christ smiles and turns away from him. All the other archangels and the elders drop on their knees before him, and he soon disappears from their sight, emptying himself from all the glory, power and beauty and splendor which he shared with his father and taking upon himself the form of man in all its weakness. The angels below never stop blasting their trumpets. Rising from their knees, the archangels and elders marvel. Elder One says, Is it what I think it is? Amisha says, The Lord is going to liberate man. And Gabriel says, Yes, without his force, but as a powerless and unprotected son of man. And Michael says, the pronouncement says, we must not defend him. Esau says, what has he to fight with? But his virtues and devotion to the Lord himself. And Asher says, this doesn't look good. Satan will smash him. Man is weakened only because his flesh and blood, spirit and soul. And the Lord goes down there as flesh, blood, spirit and soul and expects to win. Amisha says, the moment he crosses the heavens of heaven, he will have emptied himself and be born as a human child. He'd have to learn, trust me. Satan will go after him to try to kill him from birth, and if that does not work, he will try to surround this child with false teachers, anointed by him to ruin him. And once he succeeds, man is totaled, and we will have to worship the loon. And Ethel says, are you also going to rebel, like someone we all once knew? Amisha drops on her knees and says, No, never! I serve the Almighty God. Uriel says, First, let's protect the hapless parents of this coming child and the baby from the wrath of the political side of humanity. And Esau says, It's about time. They all arrow down to earth. Satan's throne room in lower earth day. Satan is boiling in rage on his throne. All his commanders, even Astaroth, are outside the throne room for fear of him. And Satan says, I've played my role so well. I've got man under my grip. All these years, man has fallen time and time again to my spell. Why am I not allowed to have my inheritance? Father, I deserve the fruits of my labor. It's your law. Reward me. Give it to me. Give me my dues. A glorious light drenches the throne room and Satan drops on his face, terrified. And God says, Satan, my son, wayward as you may be, I've never withheld my love from you, otherwise you'd have to be extinguished in a moment like a bad candlestick. You challenged to make man your slave, 
to take on his inheritance and be worshipped as I am? But have you succeeded in making all of mankind your slave? Did you see Abel, Seth, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, David, and the many, and however few who are scattered all over the earth, who have held their grounds in total loyalty and devotion to me? Have you truly won this war, Satan? Realizing the truth in what is being told him, Satan's face clears, as if a scale has just fallen off his eyes. He bows his face again and again. And Satan says, Indeed, Lord, I have not. Brutish as ever, I outboast myself and overreach myself before the Holy One of the universe. And God says, Then arise. The stage is set for the final battle. You grounded one half of humanity in Adam, and the other half, as pure as Adam was before you floored him, is set to manifest on earth. And Satan says, Lord, there's no such an entity. And God continues, Remember, I told you the moment you chose to fight man, you chose to fight me. For man is my very own roof and the crown of creation. He represents me. God steps out of the lights and voice and stands, taking on the very form of man who was visiting man in the garden before the fall. And God says, Remember me? Satan looks at him with less intimidating form, almost all man. And Satan says, You dare to be defenseless? Dare to leave all your intimidating glory and might to be an ordinary man, Lord? And God says, Yes. And Satan rises to a seat on the floor. You? Then Satan bursts out laughing. His laugh freezes as soon as God begins to talk to him. I will be a man. I will be born in Palestine. And I will liberate man from you. Be prepared to take me down if you can. To you, I will be fair. But you can always play your game your own way. That's the patience I owe you. After saying this, he disappears. Satan cannot believe himself. And Satan says, He will? What sort of mad love is this? Then he looks at the throne he has deserted and laughs. And Satan says, Lord, if you really do this, to cross me yourself to redeem man, I'd crush you. Because man with his inheritance is mine. Sally's parents' house, Porsche Day. Sally's face is full of painful terror. Grandpa is calm, looking into the horizon. And Sally says, God became human for me, for us. Without looking at Sally, Grandpa nods. And Grandpa says, he came to preach love. He asked us to love our enemies, to pray for those who curse us, to love those who hate us. He told us to forgive those who hurt us, so he can do same for us because we have hurt him so badly over the eons by hurting our fellow humans, animals and plants. And Sally says, And they kill him? She is sobbing now. Street of Jerusalem Day Jesus is covered in sweat and blood. His back and sides are slashed with whips, his face and form almost impossible to behold. 
due to the heavy beatings he has got from the Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers are flogging him to rise and continue carrying his cross. Women are hooting and throwing stones, leaves, and hurling insults at him, while very, very few women and men and boys are looking at him in tears and trepidation, whereas many children are joining the stones and dirt-throwing crowd. And Grandpa says, Yes, Sally, we killed him. And do you know that till date we still kill him when we don't accept the love of the father? And Sally says, Really, Grandpa? You mean that? And Grandpa says, Yes. Grandpa nods his head. Jesus begins to walk and he looks around despite his pains and sees the few women wailing and asking. And the women go, But what has he done? All he did was teach truth, heal the sick and deliver the pained. Why do this to him? Oh. Jesus, in spite of the whips and commands of the soldiers to him to move, stops and turns to the women. And Jesus says, Oh, women of Jerusalem, why do you whip over me? Do not do it, but rather weep over your children for what is coming for them. For if they can do this to a green tree, what can't they do to a brown tree? A soldier kicks him from the waist and he crumbles to the ground with his cross. Another soldier looks round and sees Simon who approaches the soldiers for Jesus. And the centurion says, Who are you? What do you want? And Simon says, I am Simon from Syria. Could I please help the master with the cross? I plead not for any further mercy, sir. The centurion, already bothered about the delay in progress, urges him on. Chapter 12 Golgotha Hill Day Jesus has been laid on the cross and the soldiers are hammering on, driving the massive nails into his hands to the cross and also through his feet put together into the wood of the cross. The splash and dribble of blood from the whole affair is benumbing the women watching from a distance. By now, Jesus is all bloody and battered. The only thing that drops from his body now is blood, blood, and blood. The thieves crucified on either sides of him are in comparison clean and proper. And thief says, Why is he so badly singled out for such merciless beating? Then he screams out to Jesus, If you are truly the Son of God, as advertised, sir, Free yourself from this cross now and save us too. How can you allow this indignity? The second thief gives the first a sad look. And thief too says, How thoughtless of you. We are here suffering our just reward for actions we committed. But this man has done nothing deserving of these. Don't you have any sense of decorum? And keep quiet for once. Gathering his breath after that speech, the second thief takes his teary face to Jesus. And thief too says, Master. Jesus turns his bloody but gracious face to him. Jesus says, Yes, son. And thief too says, Please, when you get to your kingdom, kindly remember me. 
I beg you, oh Lord. Jesus, in spite of his battered and bloody form, smiles to him and nods. And Jesus says, Today, you'd be with me at your father's home. Jesus smiles away and instantly his smile wipes when forces of darkness and hell begin to surge at him from everywhere. Isaiah Visitation After a very hard day, Isaiah just got back from one of his usual meetings and was preparing to go to bed when all of a sudden Gabriel appeared and told him he has a message for him from God. And Gabriel says, You have found much favor with God, Isaiah, and he has sent me to share with you what he is about to do. He says to tell you, Behold, I do a new thing, and those who will hear of it will not believe it even if they see it. Isaiah says, What will this new thing be about, and how can we know it? And Gabriel continues, Take your pen and write. Who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has neither form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as we hid as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought us a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he had poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bears the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. And as Isaiah writes, Jesus walks along the streets of Jerusalem. His body thorn by the whips drips blood from being beaten beyond recognition. Yet, he is a Lamb of God that must take away the sins of the world. The Throne of God While all these are happening on the earth and the street of Jerusalem, the Father is on his throne watching as the prophecy of Isaiah 53 comes to pass. Who has believed our report? Jesus sighs and says, the prince of darkness and all of his hosts 
are here, lass. He raises his face up to the sky, but it is all dark as swathes of dark forms surge into his body. All the forces of hell are represented as all forms of illnesses, setbacks, bad fates that can ever happen to humanity. They are animated forms with faces and grinning teeth, frowning faces as hideous as can be. As they enter his body, he goes all blackened and as a body singed by deadly fire. He takes it all and then looks up again at a darkness that hits the sky and cries out. Father! 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 Why have you forsaken me? At that point, from the dark stairway of hell, Satan shows up, walking towards the earth with the only thing he sees, as Jesus on the cross, suffering immensely, while his body begins to manifest the sicknesses and diseases and all the afflictions caused by the demons of hell, who are surging in and through Jesus' body, soul, and spirit, all that man has been bearing and still bearing till date. Meanwhile, Satan is not in any haste to get there, as the diseases and pains are nailing Jesus badly. He is enjoying himself, as the wrath builds the bob, and all his agents are so, so pleased at the victory they have wrought. Golgotha Hill Cool Evening The centurion and the soldiers and the wailing women look up at him on the cross. The scribes, some Pharisees and the elders who ensure he is sentenced take their faces to him on the cross as he screams it to an end. And Jesus says, Finished! At that instant, the sky sways violently and the earth trembles announcing his landing in hell. And the centurion says, taking off his helmet in awe, Of a truth, this was the Son of God. He goes down on his knees, head bowed and tears in his eyes. The other soldiers are scared and do not know what to do. A glorious day in hell. Astaroth says, Go get him, boss! We've got this! Satan turns his face to him heartily, and Satan says, we? Astaroth says. No, my most potent lord, you! And Satan says. Correct. I have got this! All agents says. You have got this victory, O oh most high one! He nods haughtily to them. And Satan says. Better! Watch me go claim this. Been a long time coming heaven's plane. On the other side, we see the archangels in the heavenly plane watching with grief. In the heavens of heaven, the angels have their trumpets hanging down their limb and sad hands whipping. They have no connection to earth this time. But Satan has a long stairway stretching all the way to the cross. Now Satan swags his way towards the occupant of a deadly cross. When he looks at the cross again, he realizes that the thief to Jesus' left is visible. The other cross is totally empty. When he throws his face to his allies, Satan says, What's happening? Weren't there two thieves hung with this fella? They look and are shocked to see what Satan has seen. And Satan continues, How come it's only one now? 
The body is still on the cross, but his spirit and soul has left to be with God. While the other thief still has his spirit and soul in his dead body for Satan to collect, since he has the keys to death and hell itself. For since Adam and Eve sinned against God and a curse was placed on Eve and the earth, death and hell were both let loose from hell to consume all the breath on the earth, and when they die, they had the authority to take as captives to hell forever and ever. Astaroth says, aside, This isn't looking good. Beelzebub whispers to Astaroth, You think he saved the thief? And Satan throws his face to them as they promptly maintain their composure. And Astaroth says, Master, Lord of all, go get this. You got it already. What a puny thief compared to the greatest of all we, uh, I mean, you've got. Nodding, pleased at that, he heads to the cross with mush panoply supplied by his choir. Jesus steps out of his body by the command of Satan and gets magnetized to him in the stairway to the joy of the powers behind him. And Satan says, I told you I'd get you, remember? Jesus drops at his feet out of wind and even the beating and bruises his body bears are evident on his soul. He throws his orange light at him and with it drags him on the stairs all the way to his throne room. Then he stops to give him a look as he gasps for breath. And Satan says, Wait! Where am I taking you? Where should your kind be? Really? Seeing you've taken all the sins of mankind on you, big brother liberator? And Jesus says, Hell, with all the others who you deceived to believe in there was no love of God for them. And Satan says, rushes to kiss him. You're ever so true. Great answer. He calls out to Beelzebub and Satan says, Bilzy. And Beelzebub says, Master. And Satan says, open up the gateway to hell. Someone's coming in. The gateway is flung open and he flings Christ into it. And Christ flies and drops into hell, and the fire goes up with full blast and dies out. And Jesus, en route hell, says, It is, as the fire rises, the demons are celebrating. The archangels, angels and elders watching from their realms shut their eyes, devastated. Heavenly Plane Esau, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, who just shows up, Asha, Amisha, and every archangel that matters are seated, avoiding one another's eyes, all gloomy. And Raphael says, Is this it then? The Lord lost and Satan gains it all? Michael rises and mixes into the light, unable to stand it. Uriel, who materializes the moment Michael dematerializes, calls out to them. And Uriel says, Has anyone bothered to see what's going on in hell since he got there? And Isil says, who cares? He too dematerializes. Outer hell, ever night. Jesus, who drops in a hip in hell, rises slowly, and as he does so, the fires die out until he stands full height. He turns to his left and sees a certain place in hell called Abraham's bosom, where all those saints of old who died in faith in God are being held captive by the angel of death. They are separated by a huge gulf that makes it impossible for those who died in sin, tortured and tormented by hell's fire and demons to cross over to the other side, where Abraham and all the early saints who died in faith are. 
Then Satan appears in hell to find Jesus preaching to those who in the days of Noah refused to believe the gospel and he shares with them the love of God. Jesus is in hell for three nights and three days and on the third day, very early in the morning. Heavens of Heaven Plain After satisfying the just requirement for sin, there was a great cry held from the holy temple in heaven. The just requirement for man's sin and his full redemption has been fully paid for. Man is free from all sins and he can now attain and reclaim all that was once lost through his disobedience. He is now fully welcome into the family of the beloved by faith through Jesus Christ into his inheritance reserved for him from the foundation of the world. Outer Hell Ever Night all hell hears the good news from the temple in the heavens of heaven, and Satan and all his co-hosts of demons begin to shake for fear of what this means. And Satan says, You mean all that took place on the cross and all that Jesus has been doing here in hell was a substitute role for man? I have been played by the master. No! Jesus hears those words, same with everyone on both sides of hell. Suddenly, Jesus begins to transform and his body begins to radiate the glory, power, beauty and splendor he once had and shared with the Father in heaven. The fullness of the Godhead begins to radiate all through hell itself from corner to corner and everyone bows to him. Satan sees him for the first time and bows with great fear and reverence. Satan says, My Lord, my Master, my King! And Jesus says, Little puny brother, you never learn. Your greed and your jealousy never allows you to learn. He picks him up by the hand and smashes him against all the firewalls in the place. His agents watching from the windows of hell gasp with shock and terror and jump backward. Jesus gives Satan a serious beating that he cannot stand. He begins to drag him on the fire floor as he heads deeper into inner hell, proclaiming his victory as he reaches Satan's throne and picks up the keys of death and hell. He looks towards the gulf where Abraham and all the saints who died in faith in God have been held bound and captive for ages by the angel of death and hell. With one blink of an eye, he releases them from the grip of death and hell, and there is a great earthquake in Jerusalem, and the graves of all those dead saints open, and they get out of their graves and begin to show themselves to the people on the streets, and this causes such a great panic. Those who died and did not accept the love of the Father are still held in hell by the angel of death and hell. Outer Hell Ever Night Satan sobs violently and begins to kick in the air on his back like a child at throwing tantrums. Satan turns from him after giving him a pitying look. And Jesus says, Satan, you still got your game on as long as any of these souls refuses to accept the word and the love of the Father. And those who accept, you've got your game off. Satan flings himself to his feet at that. And Satan says, Merciful Master! Are there any still foolish enough to reject you? Christ walks away from hell. Satan says, Agony! So not fair! A tomb day. The body of Jesus has already been washed and well-dressed and has been in there for three nights and three days. On the third day, very early in the morning, the spirit of Jesus returns to his tomb, enters his body, and rises from the slab of stone it is laid.
he makes his bed and folds the face napkin and then walks out of the tomb through the wall. Outside, a bright light hits the scene. Michael and Raphael shows up at the entrance of the tomb and their appearances cause the Roman soldiers to fall into a deep sleep. They then roll away the stone and sit on the bed Jesus was laid on. Jesus comes up to the tomb to meet with the angels. He looks all radiant as he walks towards them. Michael says, My Lord and Majesty! And Jesus says, My faithful ones, my disciples will be coming soon. And when they do, give them the good news. I am alive and risen, just as I told them I would. Tell them I will meet them in Jerusalem. He leaves. Moments later, Mary comes up with Peter and goes to the tomb and finds it empty. They scream when they see the gate open. And Mary Magdalene says, Oh, the tombstone has been rolled away. She dashes in and looks and finds the interior empty. She bursts out crying. Mary Magdalene says, Oh, no, no, no. Let no one do this to us. The master's body isn't there. And Peter says, What? He dashes into the grave and looking in, sees the death clothes all in place. Dazed, he strolls out, then bursts into a run, leaving all the women alone. The other women follow Peter, deeply troubled. Mary Magdalene is all alone, sobbing, grieving. Then Jesus shows up before her. And Jesus says, What are you doing? And Mary Magdalene says, if you knew where they've taken, my Lord, please tell me. And Jesus says, Mary, what are you doing looking for the living amongst the dead? At that point, Mary Magdalene raises her face to look at him and recognizing him instantly explodes with tears, bliss and relief. And Mary Magdalene says, Master! She surges forward to embrace him, but Michael, unseen by Mary Magdalene, interposes himself between them to stay her. Jesus smiles as Mary wonders why she cannot move any closer to her Lord. And Jesus says, Please, don't touch me yet. I've not gone to my father and your father. Meanwhile, go, tell them at Jerusalem that I've risen. I will be seeing you all shortly. From the heavenly temple day, Jesus ascends into heavenly temple Dressed as the chief high priest, he walks into the holiest of all and offers up his blood as eternal sacrifice for the sin of all mankind once and for all. And with his blood sanctifies all that will come to the Father by faith in him. Jerusalem, the hiding place of the disciples. While the disciples of Jesus are hiding from the high priest and the Roman soldiers, Peter and Mary begin to share with them how they went to see the tomb where Jesus was laid and found it empty. Some try to argue, but John and another disciple confirm it, since they also went to check it for themselves and found it just the way Peter and Mary say it is. While all these take place, Jesus appears in their midst. And Jesus says, Peace be unto this house. They are shocked to their feet and wonder, if he is a spirit. And Jesus, knowing what they are thinking, says to them, Come and touch me and know if spirits have flesh and bones. Everyone is afraid to touch him. 
But Peter does, and he also shows them the fingers where the nails went through, and the side that was pierced with a spear, where water and blood came out. And Jesus says, Do you have anything for me to eat? And John says, Yes, we do, Master. And Jesus sits down to eat and then begins to remind them of what the scriptures say about how he must die for man and on the third day rise from the dead. He breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit and then takes them to the top of the mountain where he speaks and gives them the great commission. He is caught up in a cloud of the saints whom he has set free from the captivity of hell and they disappear. Heavens of Heaven Gate Jesus, standing at the entrance of heaven's gates of glory, along with the saints he has just set free from Abraham's bosom in hell, looks at the gates and says, I say, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. And an airy voice of heaven's gates says, Who's the King of glory? Jesus says, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battles. Jesus says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the airy voice of heaven's gate says, Who is the King of glory? And Jesus says, The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Then the gates burst open from the heavenly plane, always day. The stairways lined by angels in the heavenly plane archangels and the 24 elders in the causal plane. Jesus rides in triumphantly like a Roman general who has just won a great victory for his king. A mighty procession is held for him as the hosts of heaven all blasting their trumpets, the elders bowing and rising, screaming, Hail! Hail! The victorious Lamb of God, worthy of all dominion, glory, praises and honor. Jesus keeps his eyes on the one radiantly seated beyond the super-causal planes. The music is intoxicating when he cuts through the super-causal to the throne. Father rises from his throne and Jesus walks up to him and bows down. He looks at his beloved son and holding him by the shoulder, looks into his brilliant eyes and smiles. And God says, Jesus, my son, the first begotten of all creation, my first fruit, an heir to the throne. Jesus kneels before him, but Father pulls him up into his embrace. And God says, Well done, son, well done. And Jesus says, It was all your doing, Father. And God says, You make me ever proud, and in you I am well pleased. Christ bursts into mirthful smiles. The entire heavens is resounding with the music of adulation for Jesus by his other brothers and the souls liberated by him, all now as radiant as Jesus in the realms. And God says, Look at whom you have brought home, son. God turns Christ around to see the sea of souls applauding him. When Jesus sees them, a tear and a smile mix on his face and he cries. Jesus says, I want them all here, Father, but only these heard me. May I go back, Lord? And God says, No need for now. Your disciples will do the rest and bring them home. Your work has left so 
so many captains amongst the souls below. They will lead the rest here. For now, son, sit with me and be glorified, my Lord and son. And God says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I will be to you a father, and you shall be to me a son. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Then the Father puts the crown of glory, and on it was inscribed these words, More than a conqueror. He gives Jesus a seat at his right-hand side and says to him, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool, and I will pour out my spirit on all that will believe and receive my love, and they shall do great and mighty wonders in my name in the earth. Heaven explodes with brilliant jubilation. Sally's girly bedroom night. Sally jumps from a sleeping position to a sitting posture with a loud scream. And Sally says, Jesus, I'm sorry. I forgive Bulwark. I forgive. Help me. Mom, Dad and Grandpa rush into the room. Singling out Grandpa, Sally dives into his arms, sobbing. And Sally says, I saw Father. I saw Jesus. She sobs uncontrollably. They hug and caress her. And Sally says, Grandpa, you were in my dream telling me stories about heaven and the creation of the earth and all that is in it. The creation of Adam and Eve and the fall of Satan and his rebellious angels who were cast down to hell. The plan of God for me and all mankind and the reason Jesus had to die, go to hell and resurrect on the third day and later ascend back into heaven and where he is now and I saw it all. And I saw the heavens of heaven and the Father God is seated in the midst of it all. And Grandpa says, The heavens of heaven is the beginning of it all. It's where God chooses to make his abode, even though it still can't contain him. My child, there are many more heavens beyond there. If you'd respond to the love of the Father, you'd know all of it in due course. Life without end. And Sally says, and the only way there is, is true love, Grandpa. True love. And her daddy says, Honey, love brought us here to earth, and only love can take us back there. Grandpa looks from his son to his son's wife and then to Sally. He hands Sally over to them and walks away. But Sally tears after him. And Sally says, Wait, 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 Grandpa. You need to hear it all. It's oh, so dope. The end.